We are on air for NASCAR Race Review with Hot Topics Sound Off. And tonight we are reviewing Bristol Motor Speedway for the uh, Cup Xfinity, the Trucks, and the Arca Menard Series along with the Arca East and the Third Chief Showdown. <laughs> so joining me for tonight's show is our co-host for tonight, and that is Jay Huseman. Uh, welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. I thought I thought I got to work out on Saturday, being on the mic for six hours uh, with our racing, but <laughs> might have even more so tonight. All that racing action at Bristol, we're going to cover it all here in a review in an hour and a half. Absolutely. Uh, Shell was not able to join us tonight, so that's why Jay is here, and uh, we'll do our best. Uh, and in the meantime, we'll send our prayers to Sal. He's not feeling well. And uh, we're sending prayers to him for a speedy recovery. Okay, in our first half hour tonight, we are going to give us some updates for the ARCA West. Uh, That's the only series that did not race this weekend. So we'll give you a few updates there. Then we're going to review the ARCA Menard Series and the East Series at Bristol. But this was also a points-paying race for the Sioux Chief Showdown as well. So we'll cover all of that. For the hour, we have a guest coming on tonight, late model driver Blake Lothian will be joining the conversation with us. He is with Mark Darnay Racing, and he got his very first victory at Hickory Speedway for the Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series. He's been in four of their events, and in his fourth event, he got his first victory. So uh, that's pretty big news, and we'll talk to Blake about that victory at the top of the hour. Uh, After that, we're going to review the NASCAR Truck Series at Bristol, and at 9.30, we'll get into the Xfinity and the Cup Series at Bristol and do the reviews for both of those races. Some very exciting racing. We will have a lot to talk about uh, during our show uh, during this first 90 minutes. Even Blake Lothian went three wide uh, to get his win, which was a really exciting finish as well. Uh, at 10 o'clock, we will start our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Up with a fan for racing crew. And uh, it sounds like we're going to have a full house tonight, and uh, we'll have a lot to talk about there as well. So with that, uh, Jay, let's go ahead and get started uh, with the standings for the Arkham and Art Series West. Uh, I'm going to, first of all, just let you know when they are racing next. Uh, they are racing uh, the Star Nursery 150, September 23rd, which is Thursday night at the Bull Ring at Las Vegas. That's 7 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, that would be 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, and, again, it's at the Bull Ring at Las Vegas, the Star Nursery 150. Now, you'll be able to watch live streaming of that event on Track Pass for NBC Sports Gold. But keep in mind, you can also listen to the radio at arcaracing.com. So uh, they also have the Race Central there where you can get updates from the track of exactly what's going on, and then there will be the NBC Sports Network delayed broadcast uh, probably sometime next week. So uh, with that, Jay, let's go ahead and talk about the series point standings in this uh, group. 
All right. Taking over the points lead, you do have Jesse Love now. Six races in. He's got two victories, four top fives, five top tens. Built himself a 19-point cushion. That starts over Jake Drew. Three top fives, five top tens. He's 19 points back. Paul Pedronacilli Jr. and Cole Moore are 20 points back, tied. Uh, Paul has the advantage of best finishing position, so gets the nod as far as that tie. Joey East picked up a victory, but is currently a fifth in points at 23 points back. And then all the way through the top 10 now, we do have all 10 having six starts. You got Todd Souza, Trevor Huddleston, Takuma Koga, Bridget Burgess, and Bobby Hillis. Uh, junior and total is only 67 points back so a little bit of a points gap for jesse love but if he were to falter there's a lot of drivers right there to pounce as they've been battling it out here through six races here on the west and i believe they got three more yes i was just going to look that up the schedule for the arkham and art series uh west uh, because their season will be winding down. Uh, they have the the race next weekend, September 23rd, at the Bull Ring at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Then there's the All-American Speedway, Napa Auto Parts 150 on October the 9th, and their season finale will be at Phoenix Raceway on November 6th. That is the championship weekend uh, for NASCAR as well as for the ARCA West. So that's going to be a really big deal. Three races left to determine who the champion will be in the Arkham Menard Series West. So uh, pretty pretty exciting there, Jay. Yeah, and it's definitely going to be a battle. Like I said, if Jesse Love makes any kind of slip, some serious competition right there behind him, and I think they need to start capitalizing now. With only three races left, Again, if his worst finish is a, is a fifth or a sixth place, you better be winning. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we're slightly ahead of schedule here, and uh, I am going to get into uh, the Arca Menard series at Bristol. This was also the final, the finale for the ARCA East, and so they crowned the championship in this race, as well as the ninth of ten races for the Sioux Chief Showdown. So a big, big race for the ARCA Menard Series, the ARCA East, as well as the Sioux Chief Showdown. And uh, while Ty Gibbs took the checkered flag, it was Sammy Smith taking the East Championship uh, at the end of this race, they both finished one, two in the Bushes Beans 200. Well, and I got to say, when we talked about this on our preview show, kind of expected it to be a Ty Gibbs, Corey Heim show. Sammy Smith did not win the race, but it did all he could do to secure that Arkham Menards East championship. So, Got to give a big shout-out to him. He he, he ran and mess, uh, mixed it up with the big boys. And like I said, you said, didn't get the checkered flag itself, but celebrated that championship. Yes, he did. And they did uh, kind of an epic burnout at the end of the race where they went nose-to-nose with their cars and did a burnout. And that was pretty cool to see because you had the race winner and the ARCA East champion 
are going head-to-head there with the burnout in their celebration. So a lot of fans really enjoyed that. That was kind of cool Cool to see. You talk about it being a big weekend, big weekend there for Joe Gibbs Racing, obviously, uh, as they continue to celebrate Ty Gibbs in the season he's having uh, all all across the board, but then to celebrate that championship as well with uh, Sammy. Yes, indeed. Uh, now, Gibbs won the race after leading all 200 laps for his incredible 10th victory of the Arkham Menard Series season. There's only 20 races in the season. Uh, but it was Smith, whose second-place run was more than enough to clinch that uh, Arca East championship. Smith is a 17-year-old East Series regular from Johnston, Iowa, he entered the East Series finale, a combination event with the Arkham Menard Series, with a 24-point lead over second-place Daniel Dye in the standings. Smith, a rookie this year, simply needed to finish ninth to ensure that he would leave Bristol with the title. So it was a good day for Sammy Smith. Uh, he won three races in the East Series competition this year. He won at Five Lakes Speedway in Pensacola, Florida, Tennessee's Nashville Fairground Speedway, and at Southern National Motorsports Park in Kenley, North Carolina. His second place uh, finish at Bristol on Thursday, March the 7th. Top 10 finish in eight East races this season. Easily the most among series regulars. He also led the most laps this season among the series regulars at 396. So uh, yeah, so that was a pretty good performance, as you mentioned, for Joe Gibbs Racing from Sammy Smith in the East. But Ty Gibbs had a pretty good day, too. He does, and it's one of those of kind of, I want to say gloss over it, but we kind of come to expect that uh, from Ty Gibbs. So it's one of those, the storylines to me, yes, he did win the race, uh, you mentioned the 10th of the year, and I believe that he's uh, tied now with Frank Kimmel for most wins in a season, in the Arkham Menard season, with that 10th victory. Wow. Wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, now, Ty Gibbs, uh, Thursday's victory was a big step. He's just 18 years old, but he is on a title quest in the Arkham Menard series. Two races remaining at Salem Speedway on October the 2nd and Kansas Speedway on October the 23rd. That will be the season finale for the Arkham Menard series. Now, Gibbs has a 26-point lead over second place Corey Heim. We'll cover more of that in just a few minutes. Uh, but that was uh, really huge for Gibbs. He led 200 laps. Uh, increased his season-long total to 1,438 laps led through 18 Arkham Menard Series races, easily the most in the series. He led all those laps on Thursday in spite of his so many restarts and cautions. Uh, so it was also the round of nine for the 10-race Sioux Chief Showdown, Jay. And that's what we talked about this on the preview. You have the Arkham and Ard Series winding down. Two more races to go after this one. We crowned the East Series champion, uh, but it also affected the Sioux Chief Showdown. And with that, a lot of the same regular drivers 
if I pull up the points here when we look at it, uh, whoop, that was the East series. Uh, Ty Gibbs now uh, extended his lead there as well over Corey Heim. But you also got Nick Sanchez, Thad Moffitt, Taylor Gray, Brad Smith, and Jesse Love, and Daniel Dye, Tony Constantino, and Alex Club. Your top ten in that, just to run down real quick. Uh, Five of them making all nine starts. So still a mix-up in that points battle, but when the top driver, Ty Gibbs, keeps winning, it's tough to gain points on him, I'll tell you. It sure is, especially with all those wins that he has, as you mentioned. He just keeps winning. It's just incredible. Uh, let's. Uh, that was the Sioux Chiefs Showdown series point standings. Uh, well, before we do that, I wanted to go over the race results uh, for this this particular race. So let's take a look at that real quick. Uh, the race results. Ty Gibbs, we mentioned, won the race. Sammy Smith came in second to win the championship. In third place, it was Taylor Gray. Then it was Nick Sanchez. And Corey Hines rounds out the top five finishers for the Bushes Beans 200. The next five drivers were Raja Karuth in the number six for Rev Racing. Then it was the Arco West, uh, last year's champion, Jesse Love in seventh place. Drew Dollar finished eighth. Parker Chase in ninth. And Connor Jones rounds out the top ten in this race at uh, Bristol Motor Speedway. So uh, any thoughts there on the finishing order? Well, there's a lot of thoughts. The one thing, you mentioned it, for Sammy Smith to win that E-Series championship just had to finish 19th place or better. Bristol, that can be a challenge. But he didn't just ride for it either. I mean, he went out there and took that championship home. Again, finishing yes, second did. to Ty Gibbs. Obviously, that's a, a battle. You, you might lose more times than not. But to finish second to him and really take that championship, not have it given to him by finishing 17th or 18th or based on somebody else. He had that cushion. You appreciate the cushion you built up throughout the year. But he didn't ride on it. He went out there and took it. Yes, indeed, and uh, he he uh, did, certainly did not sit on his laurels. He raced very, very hard in that event. The margin of victory, uh, it looks like the margin of victory was uh, 2.431 seconds. So Ty Gibbs had a pretty substantial lead uh, to win that race, uh, but I know Sammy Smith was racing very hard to do everything he could to catch up with him. Uh, he would have loved to have both won the race and the championship, but it was pretty cool to see Joe Gibbs Racing have the, both of their drivers uh, finish one, two in that event as well. It is, and this is one that if fans only look at the stat line, uh, you see Ty Gibbs winning, uh, leading all 200 laps. If you didn't watch the race or understand how that race shook out, you really miss out on it because you mentioned it, multiple restarts that Ty Gibbs had to hold off. Uh, Sammy Smith, as well as then third place, Taylor Gray, Nick Sanchez, and Corey Heim. I mean, they were in there mixing it up. They just didn't get by him at the start-finish line to lead a lap. Um, so it's not like he didn't have competition throughout that race, I promise you. Absolutely. 
Okay, let's go ahead and cover the points for the Arkham and Archer East. Uh, this was their finale, their last race of the season. So there will be no more races for the Arca East for the rest of this year. First one's the crowner champion, and it is Sammy Smith. Eight, uh, eight races for the year, three of them being victories, seven out of those eight in the top five as well as them in the top ten. Also did pick up a one pole. His average start was 3.9, average finish of 4.3. Second place, Daniel Dye, uh, two top fives, seven top tens. Ended up 34 points back. And you look at his stat line, if you read it by itself, Average start of 5.6, average finish of 6.5. Pretty solid. That tells you how much uh, Sammy Smith, uh, their season, how much that they put into it when you have an average finish of 6.5 and you come up 34 points short. That is true. Uh, third place, third place, Raja Karuth, two top fives and five top tens, ended up 49 points back. Max Gutierrez, 52 points back. He had a win as well as two top fives overall, five top tens, uh, 52 points back, as I mentioned. Joey East was 55 back. Mason Diaz, 62 back. And those were your six drivers that made all eight starts. Parker Retzklaff made six starts at a top five, four top tens, ended up in seventh at 119 back. Taylor Gray, only five starts. All five of his starts, though, were top five finishes. His average finish at 3.2. So it makes you wonder, there again, where he'd have ranked in there had he been able to compete in all eight. You know, we had, he had his yeah. uh, accident early in the year. So impressive run there. And then mentioned Ty Gibbs. He actually ends up ninth in points with only the four starts, but all four of those that were combination events with the East Series uh, were victories. So... Uh, he was 189 points back. And then with six starts, Stephanie Moy, uh, Moyer, uh, with two top tens, ended up 222 points back. Wow, that's really a cr- incredible. Ty Gibbs, four starts, four wins, average start one, average finish one. Uh, it doesn't get any better than that. And still ninth in the Arca East standings with just four of eight races that's incredible. And and the one I like I said I mentioned Taylor Taylor Gray, seeing that all five of his were top five. Yes. Uh, especially against the competition we just talked about. Ty Gibbs getting some starts, Corey Heim, Sammy Smith, uh, to be able to top five in all of those races to uh to come home eighth with only the five starts after coming back from that uh personal injury. Yes, and, and Mason Diaz, um you know, it was he, he did race all eight races uh, as well, 62 points back in that sixth-place spot. He was at one point. He was in that second-place spot. Uh, but we had some other drivers that just really stepped up to the plate uh, and made it difficult for him to kind of hold on to that. He did. Part of that three-wide battle to start this season there we talked about. Uh, yes. And, and not having a bad season, I, I, you know, it's one of those of uh, these drivers got to be able to look at it and go, the, we had a good season. There are just a couple of drivers up there that had great seasons or darn near perfect, uh, as you mentioned, Ty Gibbs and, and Taylor Gray of what they got in. Their season for mm-hmm. those races was perfect. So 
uh, yeah, it's tough to compete at that level, even at this Arkham and RG series. Indeed. Uh, now let's go ahead and cover the series points. Uh, we did the Sioux Chief Showdown. We just completed the uh, standings for the ARCA East. Now let's cover the point standings for the Arkham Menard Series. They have two races left. Is that right? That's right. Two races left, 18 of them in so far. Two drivers have made all 18 starts for the Arkham Menard Series. And they had been swapping back and forth, one-point lead, three-point lead. But here as of late, Ty Gibbs, you mentioned it, really stepped on that gas pedal, picking up his 10th victory, 17 top fives, 17 top tens, average start of 2.1, average finish of 3.1. Corey Himes' stat line, almost the same, a little short on the victories. He's got six of those. So between the two of them, they won 16 out of 18 races. He's got 15 top fives, all 18 top tens. His average start, 3.6, the average finish, 2.9. 2.9. So he's got that better average finish, but those extra four victories and polls is what put Ty Gibbs up now 26 points. And I do believe that's the highest point lead we have seen all year in this Arkham Menard series. Yes. I think you were right. Then in third place, 16 starts, Thad Moffitt is 286 points. Again, having a very solid season, five top fives, 12 top tens along with Nick Sanchez, eight top fives and 12 top tens at 287. So they got a one-point differential. Brad Smith made 17 of the starts at minus 463. And Drew Dollar, Taylor Gray, D.L. Wilson, Kyle Sieg, and Jesse Love making about half of the starts, it looks like, for all of them uh, as they scatter throughout. But here again, I want to read Drew Dollar. I'm sorry, Drew Dollar had five top fives, seven top tens, and uh, one pole. But Taylor Gray, ten starts, eight top fives, and ten top tens in his limited half of the the races, uh, but a top ten finish in every race. Yes, indeed. So uh, it's going to be interesting because we know uh, a lot of people feel like Ty Gibbs is going to move up to the Xfinity Series next season, uh, racing full-time. And Corey Heim, uh, he's raced a few truck series races. Uh, I know there's some hope there that perhaps he'll move up to the truck series next season. So who is going to rise to the occasion uh, next year when the series returns? Well, and that is an interesting because we also mentioned uh, third place, Thad Moffitt. I know that being in the lineage of Richard Petty, uh, there's been some talk there, too, of working with Kyle and sponsorship of getting him ready to move either. I believe what I heard was Xfinity Series. We'll have to wait and see how that pans out. But there's another one that we're looking to possibly move up. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's going to be interesting. But I, we'll finish this season first and see which – which driver wins the championship because a lot can happen in two races. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. Jay, we've got a couple minutes here. Do you want to give the uh, fantasy uh, points here real quick? We do have our guest coming up uh, at the top of the hour. Just keep that in mind. All right. Yeah, just let me know whenever he uh, calls in there and we want to switch over to him. Uh, appreciate having him on tonight. I know we've been uh, – 
hurt to be able to get uh, guests. So I know uh, I don't think I pushed it, put in the cups, but let me find our over or our truck. Uh, nope, that one's the old one. Start with the trucks here. Yeah, that one I know it, I got it, finalized. Oh, okay. I was going to say, if you don't have it handy, what I can do is just give a rundown of some of his. Uh, yeah, please do. Please go ahead with, with that, and I'll have them all ready by the end of the show uh, before we go to hot topics. Okay, perfect. Okay, Blake Lopian is going to be our next guest here on Fan for Racing Radio. And, uh, yes, we've been looking forward to this. Uh, he is a late model driver with Mike Darney Racing, uh, just 19 years of age from Wellesley, Massachusetts. He's raced in the uh, NASCAR Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series, and he's only attended four events, and he actually got his very first race win uh, on September the 11th, and that was at Hickory Speedway. Uh, so that's pretty cool uh, that after just four events, he was able to come up with that first victory. Uh, he has uh, uh, been a two-year driver for NASCAR's Drive for Diversity uh, in 2019 and 20. He did win. Uh, he was part of the 2020 uh, summer shootout top five legends champion uh, out at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, he also has some kart championships that go back to 2017, the NHKA LO206 senior champion and the F1 Boston indoor champion. So Blake Lothian has uh, a lot of success uh, in his biography here and uh, up to speed very quickly in the Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Touring Series at Hickory Motor Speedway. So uh, definitely looking forward to chatting with him. He is here now, so I think I'm going to go ahead and bring him into the queue so we can go ahead and get started talking with him. Uh, and Blake, I believe I have you online. Is that correct? I do hear you. So, uh, first of all, thank you so much for contacting us and letting us know of your interest in being on the show and that you won your very first race at uh, Hickory Motor Speedway on September the 11th. Uh, as I looked at all of the information that you sent to us, uh, it really uh, was apparent that you were up to speed very quickly in the late model series. But before that, um, you, you did have some legends experience, but you were an open cart, uh, a cart driver uh, coming into racing. What made you choose to move on to the stock car racing versus cart racing? Well, first off, thank you for having me. And then second off, um, well, since I was little, I've always wanted to um, race a NASCAR and race uh, the closed wheel, closed cockpit cars. But um, we just didn't know how to break into it. So um, we raced, you know, the first few years racing uh, indoor karts at F1 Boston. And then after that, we started racing the professional outdoor kart series at F1 Outdoors and the NHKA. Um, that's where Rev Racing came into play, where um, we ended up, that was our gateway into Oval. Um, really low cost for us. That was a great, great opportunity into oval racing for us. And then from there, 
Um, now we're with Mike Darn Racing, and we already we already won at Hickory. So. Yeah, that's really amazing. Uh, I've, I've been mentioning it. Four events in the Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series, and uh, your first victory during that fourth event. Uh, and uh, before that, I think you finished ninth in a couple of races uh, at Hickory Motor Speedway. Uh, how do you account a learning curve and going after that victory? Because it was an exciting victory going three wide. Uh, in the final laps of the race uh, against some pretty tough competitors in order to win. Yeah, definitely was some really fierce competitors out there. Um, I definitely credit just being able to pick up weight models so quickly to uh, Mike Darn Racing. I mean, Mike Darn uh, runs the program over there. Really, really great guy. Um, he helped me, like, walk me through everything. He was setting up the car the day of, and he had to run off to the car's store race. But, um, of course, um he really helped me get get going quickly in the late models with testing. Um, we tested two, three times at Hickory, so I was really familiar with the track. And then, of course, uh, we used a lot of iRacing, uh, just practicing hitting the line, setting up passes. So in that case, we were able to set up I practice going three wide and where it was possible. Um, and then in that situation, when, you, when we went three wide, like on lap, the, ex, the end of lap one, going into lap two off of four, um, the guy on the inside washed up, and then I just ended up. There's a clean space in there, so I just went for it. Okay, so you, you took advantage of that opportunity uh, that you had there. So, uh, Blake, I, I, I just think it's fantastic what you've been able to accomplish so quickly. And I know when you, um, we have our co-host here tonight, too, Jay Huseman, and I think he has some questions for you. This, so I'm going to pass the baton over to him and give him a chance to ask some questions as well because he's at the track just about every weekend for some of these uh, types of races. So, uh, Jay, you have the mic. All right. Thank you, Sharon. And congratulations, Blake. Start there. Uh, you mentioned four start. But I also look back at the reason that you were able to get that win in the four start. These new tracks you're going to uh, for the first time, especially being in a, in a full-bodied stock car, you were showing up and getting top fives and top tens in your first starts at a brand-new track. Uh, talk about that. I, I heard you mention a couple different things. I, we'll start with uh, moving from the carts to a full-body stock car, and you said you used the simulator. Yeah, I use the simulator a lot. Um, we ended up buying our own rig at home. Um, so I'm, I'm on that almost every single day as much as I possibly can, whether I'm not dealing with schoolwork or just other possible things. Um, but I credit lots of the success to the simulator, iRacing. So. Well, and that was well, one of the things that kind of piqued my interest, uh, looking through the sponsors, uh, and I'm trying to find it back. I want to make sure I get this right. One of your sponsors where it showed you uh, in one, which I'm assuming is maybe a northern, I believe it was in Massachusetts, uh, pit row patrons, is that right? Yeah, that's that's one of my um, one of my programs where we have um, people sign up and then they uh, they're part of our pretty much part of our race team in a way. Um, so that's that's for younger adults, young kids uh, to be part of our uh, part of our part of our mission. I thought that I thought that was so cool. So I did want to put a little bit of focus on that, but and I know that was where you were using the simulator. So especially one, and I understand coming from the karting series uh, to the stock cars. The other one you mentioned uh, before even getting with your current team 
rev racing being the gateway of, of that window into uh, NASCAR, the NASCAR ranks um, from that. And we've had several of the rev racing and drive for diversity drivers on here. Talk a little bit about just how much they do do for you, both on and off the track. Yeah, they definitely do a lot. Um, they have a driver training, driver coaching, and then also um, fitness. Lots of physical fitness they focus on over there, um, especially trying to get you mental, mentally ready for racing stock cars on the highest level possible at the Summer Shootout for Legends and Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series for Late Models, which I was able to run against uh, my old team, Rev Racing, at Hickory, and then really close was my friend, LeVar, who was on uh, – we were both racing at the same time in Drive for Diversity, and then now we're racing against each other. But we raced each other really hard for that win, so. Well, the last thing I want you to talk about of, of, of all tracks when it comes to especially the late models and early days of NASCAR, the hist- history and historic uh, Hickory Motor Speedway uh, to pick up the victory there at such a venue. Yeah, I mean, it's just incredible to be – to have my name with the – some of the insane drivers that have won at Hickory, the track champions at Hickory. I mean, it's just, it's a dream come true. Ever since I was little, I've always wanted to put my name up there with some of those drivers. And I mean, it's, it's a dream come true right now. Well, and I know Xfinity series uh, is the one that carries the tagline names are made here, but uh, just talking with my girlfriend the other night, seeing Chandler Smith win the, win the truck series, she's like, didn't we see see him race at, at Nashville in the, in the late models or in Montgomery and at Five Flags? And I was like, yeah, that's the same one. So this is really where you're making your name in order to even get to that level. Exactly. That's. I mean, right now we have a lot of, lot of, lot of talent in the late model rank trying to make their way up. So I think we're going to see a lot of names from late models, a super late models limited, making their way up to the next ranks of NASCAR. All right. Well, best of luck to you uh, going into next year as well, and congratulations again on that victory at Hickory Motor Speedway. I'm going to turn it back over to Sharon. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, Blake, I'm going to ask you, uh, I'm going to lead into something else that you do uh, in conjunction with your racing career. And, And But before I get into that, I want to talk about what motivated you to get into racing. What was your motivation? Well, for me, it was um, ever since I was little, I just I tried baseball, I tried basketball. It wasn't really any good at any of those. When I was like about three, four, five, wasn't any good at any of those. Um, then, like, I hopped in the go-kart and absolutely fell in love with the sport. And then from there, we went to F1 indoors. We tried their summer camp deal, and it went really well. Just That's when I realized I really want to do racing. That even before then, I think at the age of about three, I found NASCAR on TV just flipping around the channels and fell in love with NASCAR. And then to this day, I still watch it as much as I possibly can when I'm not on the road. Okay. Now, who's the, who's the driver that uh, you you model yourself after in NASCAR? Yeah, I mean, he's an underdog. Um, in, um, and it wasn't really, say, an underfunded team, but underappreciated team in NASCAR. Um, and then he came from the road racing background as well, just like me. So then I met him, nicest guy on the grid, takes the time to um, to talk to every single fan, really, really aspire to be like him. Okay. Now I want to get into uh, you, you actually use some of your time to go and talk to uh, kids that are in school and kind of inspire them uh, to reach for what their dreams are. 
talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I talked to kids in, in local elementary schools. Now we're trying to branch out as much as possible. Um, but we're talking to them about the power of yet. Like, say, um, like when I first started oval racing, I didn't get it, but it's like the power of yet. Like, say, um, like I didn't get this yet. It's like I didn't, um, let's say, I didn't understand legend racing, but I didn't understand it yet. So it's like the same with, your, like, your math. Like, you don't understand it yet. So it's like try not to give up on anything and keep working at it. So I'm just trying to encourage kids to keep working at schoolwork. And I'm also just trying to expose them to racing as well because in my town, there's not much exposure to racing. I'm not sure how I really ended up getting into it in a town like this. So. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. And one small word can make such a big difference, uh, that word yet. Uh, so that's a really uh, cool twist that you put into that. And uh, to help inspire kids not to give up, I, I really love that. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Okay. Uh, so, what about we talked a little bit about your sponsors, uh, and uh, it, it, sponsorship is such a big part of moving through the ranks to get into NASCAR. So talk a little bit about who your sponsors are. And I want to also get into your race team and, and the people that are really supporting you behind the scenes. Yeah, so our sponsors this season are Texas Law Book, um, Poach's ABC Kids, Venture White, Smith uh, Lawn Care, um, Little Park Media, Wellesley Gas, Wellesley Golf, Peter's Pizza, Western Road Cafe. I mean, without them, we, we would literally be nowhere because that's, you know, racing is all about sponsors, like you said. Um, and then, of course, you know, without sponsors and then without – you also have to have a team to get everything going as well. Um, so, of course, thank you to Mike Darn Racing. I mean, they have done so much within this short amount of time to help me get get up and going with this late mall and everything. Okay. And do you have racers in your family, Blake? No. I'm the, no. Um, the closest thing we have is uh, my mom's uh, dad, so my grandpa, he owned a gas station. That's the closest uh, thing to racing we have in our family. <laughs> okay. So you're a first-generation racer, uh, and that's not always easy either. Uh, but I know your parents probably play a very big role in, in helping to support you as well. Oh, 100%. I mean, without them, I mean, again, I'd be nowhere. I mean, they support me so much mentally and then, of course, physically with, you know, getting me two races and everything. But, I mean, without them, I mean, we'd be nowhere. And then, I mean, racing is what I love to do, and I'm just so thankful they support me and what I do, what I love. I mean, through the hard times, like with the beginning of this season, was it was a struggle. And then to this point out, the high point of the season, I mean, this is just a huge thank you to my family. Okay, and I'm guessing you graduated high school. Are you currently taking any college courses, Blake? No, um, right now we're doing a gap year. Um, we're looking. I'm looking into something with meteorology next year for sure. Um, I'm really interested mm. in weather and just how how that stuff forms and everything like that. Really interested in like tornadoes and hurricanes. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, let's let's talk about iRacing racing now because you mentioned that iRacing is one of the things that you did to kind of help prepare you for racing at Hickory mm-hmm. Motor Speedway. Uh, and iRacing has become huge within NASCAR. There are so many NASCAR drivers that are involved with iRacing on a regular basis. Um, 
talk about that experience and how close is iRacing to when you actually get to the track? I got to say, iRacing is almost perfect. I mean, uh, they laser scan the tracks. I mean, you feel every single bump that you feel in real life. I mean, it's absolutely insane how accurate they get these racetracks and the race cars. Um, and then even with the track conditions, you can set the track conditions to say what I ran at Hickory um, last weekend. I mean, you can almost get the exact same track condition, exact same feeling of the car. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. And then also, I mean, every now and again, you'll hop on. I mean, Anthony Alfredo will be there or some other NASCAR drivers will be up there and you can race against them, which is really, really cool. That is really cool. Now, um, have you been able to have conversations with other iRacers or with NASCAR drivers uh, about maybe them mentoring or helping to support you as you continue your journey? Yeah, of course. We're always trying to look into trying to get extra partners, extra sponsors. Um, there's this one series I run, the Triple M Pulling Truck Series. Um, they, I've been running with them for now, I think, about two seasons. Um, they've they've, they've uh, really helped me a lot within the past year and a half. So. Okay. So uh, that's all super, super cool. Now, before we let you go, I know we started a little bit early, so we're going to let you go. Uh, a little bit early as well, but I want to give you an opportunity uh, to give fans uh, an idea of how they can talk to you or be in touch with what you're doing on social media and then also a website. I know you've got a great website as well, Uh, but also uh, I want you to, uh, you mentioned some of your sponsors. Anybody else that you want to give a shout out to here, this is this is your stand, time to stand on your soapbox and do that. Um, so, yeah, of course, I want to – My uh, the best way to talk to me is Instagram. It's Blake underscore Lothian. Um, I have Twitter, which is also Blake underscore Lothian. Facebook, which is Blake Lothian. Um, and then I also – BlakeLothianRacing.com is my website. And, of course, again, huge thank you to all the sponsors. Um, huge thank you to POTUS ABC Kids, uh, Venture Wipes, uh, Smith Lawn Care, um, the Texas Law Book, the primary sponsors for the season. Without them, I mean, we, I'm not sure where we'd be. Okay. Well, that's uh, fantastic. And I want to encourage fans to uh, give Blake a uh, follow uh, as an up-and-coming uh, NASCAR driver in the Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series. Uh, when's your next race? Uh, our next race is going to be at Southern National. Um, it will be, give me one second to pull it up. It will be on October 23rd. Um, is our next race at, at, um, at Dominion Raceway. Okay. And when's your next I race? Uh, we have some coming up tonight. Um, they have, uh, I racing has these series that run every hour. So I'm going to be hopping on at, um, at uh, the next, the top of the next hour and running some A6. So, which is like Cup Cars at Vegas uh, now. Okay, what's your what's your handle there? So, if anybody wants to hop on, <laughs> they'll know the uh, race with Blake, you. It's just Blake Lothian. I just check my friend request daily, and then just hop on and race with me, and we can we can race against each other. Okay, that is awesome, uh, Blake. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. 
And uh, we hope that uh, this isn't the last time. We hope you'll come back and visit with us again. Uh, Definitely stay in touch with us and let us know if you get any more uh, victories here that you want to celebrate. Yeah, definitely will do. Thank you for having me. Okay, and fans, get out there at the racetrack, out there at uh, Southern National, uh, October 23rd, so you can see Blake Lothian on the track. Uh, Good luck to you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. All right. That's Blake Lothian with Mike Dern Racing, uh, part of the Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series. He's an iRacer, uh, and uh, he's, he's got a lot going on. Uh, and uh, we really encourage you to uh, get to know him and follow him. So, Jay, that was a, an interesting interview with Blake Lothian. I thought it was a great interview, and uh, I was a little busy there because I did have him on Twitter. I went went and found his Instagram as well as his Facebook. One of the things I want to highlight there that I think is just so tremendous, we talk about some of these top top cup at the cup level drivers that go back to the other series and are helping out, and he's doing that already at this age of the (laughs) not-yet program. Uh, The sponsors he has mentioned uh, doing the iRacing with people, um, as well as in the ABC program, I mean, that is just phenomenal. And for a driver at his age to be doing that is just fantastic. I couldn't agree more. I think that's uh, really inspirational. And I love the not yet concept and, and everything that he's doing uh, to inspire others, uh, not just in racing, but with whatever their goals are. Uh, but uh uh, I, I just think uh, that is a really great way to give back, uh, and that he's doing it at such a young age is fantastic. So uh, we're going to have to go ahead and move on now to our review of the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series at Bristol, uh, but I certainly hope we can get Mike Lothian back again. Uh, very inspirational guy, and uh, we wish him the best with his career. Well, I'll tell you what, part of that not yet program, I'm going to have to be a part of that. Uh, As an air traffic controller, I had to do some weather, limited weather observations, and he talked about (laughs) wanting to get into meteorology. Uh, I'm going to be in that category, so maybe he can help me out because, yeah, I did not understand the meteorology aspect to it. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to our Camping World Truck Series review. Uh, their next race, before we get into that, is going to be at Las Vegas Motor Speedway this weekend. Uh, should be a, a green flag around 9.13 Eastern time. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 and radio coverage on MRN and TSXM NASCAR Radio. Again, there will be no practice or qualifying. Uh, Jay and I will cover this on our podcast on Wednesday. So uh, just to let you know, that is their next race. But we also want to cover the UNOH 200 at Bristol Motor Speedway. What an exciting race. Chandler Smith was 10th in the series point standing and was able to pull off a stunning upset on Thursday night at Bristol Motor Speedway. The rookie Chandler Smith stole the victory from the reigning NASCAR Camping World Truck Series champion, Sheldon Creed, to clinch his spot into the round of eight of the playoffs. Uh, It essentially eliminated Todd Gilliland from the postseason playoffs. 
uh, driving the number 18 Chandler Smith needed to win in order to advance to the next round, and he did exactly that. Uh, following a restart just five laps from the finish, Smith muscled to the lead from the dominant number two of Sheldon Creed to win the UNOH 200 presented by Ohio Logistics. Uh, now, he, that allows him to advance to the next round, the round of eight. It is the first time in his career to get a win and to be a part of this next round of the playoffs. So pretty exciting stuff there for Chandler Smith. Now, Creed, who started from the pole stages, he led 189 of 200 laps and was leading at the time of the restart. However, he was outnumbered by KBM, Kyle Busch Motorsports, teammates Chandler Smith and John Hunter Nemechek. Smith took the position from Creed on the low lane with Nemechek in his tire tracks and they dusted it up. Creed drifted high and fell back in the pack with a flat tire. He limped home to a 19th place finish. Grant Infinger muscled by Nemechek uh, at the finish for the second uh, with Nemechek crossing the line in third. He was followed by Stuart Friesen, Johnny Sauter, Carson Hosevar, Matt Crafton, Zane Smith, Ben Rhodes, and Todd Gilliland. Despite finishing 10th, Gilliland failed to advance to the next round of the playoffs. He missed the cut by just two points. Uh, that was just devastating. Austin Hill also failed to move on. He was involved in a wreck that set up the final restart, and he was not able to finish the race. There were three lead changes among just three drivers, 11 cautions for 85 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 59.479 miles per hour. So um, some quick facts here. Uh, it was Chandler Smith's first victory in 34 truck series starts. His first victory in seventh top ten finish this year. It was his first victory in third top ten finish in three races at Bristol. Grant Infinger posted his fifth top ten finish in five races at this year. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek posted his sixth top ten finish in seven races at Bristol. Chandler Smith was the highest finishing rookie with the win. Uh, and Chandler Smith and Zane Smith, entered the race below the round of eight cut line, and both of them raced their way into the next round. And as we mentioned, it was Todd Gilliland and Austin Hill not able to advance into the next round. So your thoughts about this race, Jay? I'm sure there's quite a few thoughts. I was going to say, I think we need more time. <laughs> um <laughs> First off, big shout-out, mentioned it uh, with Sammy Smith, going out and taking it. In this case, not the championship, but advancing to that next round. Chandler uh, Smith. In a situ- yeah, well, no, I, uh, talking, going back to the uh, – Arkham and RG's talking about oh, okay. Sammy gotcha. having to go out and take it. Chandler was definitely in that position, uh, running even, even where he was at, I believe, fourth or fifth, uh, doing most of what he could do not getting some bad luck from others, his option was to win it. Caution flag sets it up. He's got the opportunity, and he capitalized on it. Uh, so we know he had the truck to be able to run with those guys. 
just didn't have the track position at the time, and he needed it, got it, and capitalized on it. I mean, you can't say anything more than that. To pick up such a win, advance him in the playoff, first career win at a track like Bristol, I mean, his head, I feel like, has to be just about ready to explode with all that in one moment. (laughs) Yes, indeed. That was a huge, uh, as I mentioned, sitting at 10th place coming into this race. Uh, he really made the most of that opportunity at Bristol. Now, there were a couple of drivers. Howie, uh, we mentioned the accident for Austin Hill. Ailey Deegan also involved in an accident. Uh, then you had uh, Howie DeSavino had an electrical issue. Taylor Gray involved in an accident. Uh, Chase Purdy had an overheating issue. Other people involved in accidents, uh, Spencer Boyd, Tyler Ankrum, Danny Bond, Dawson Cram, uh, Chris Wright had an engine problem, uh, Ray Cicerelli had a rear gear problem, and three more drivers involved in accidents, Tate Pulpman, Tanner Gray, and Josh Rayum. So uh, quite a few drivers running into issues throughout this race. Uh, but a lot of drivers able to finish. Sheldon Creed uh, finished 19th. He was a playoff driver. Austin Hill, 24th. Uh, and the rest of the playoff drivers all finished in the top 10. Unfortunately for Todd Gilliland, it still wasn't enough to keep him in. Yeah, and I know we're going to talk about this on the Cup Series, too. You miss it by two points, and you just look back through one race, two races this season of where those two points could have come from, whether it was uh, something you gave away, an accident, uh, not pushing hard enough on on a stage. I mean, two points is nothing. That's two positions on the track throughout, in this case, a round of three, three races. Uh, You could see it in Todd Gillen's interview. And and until that final, final lap there with their final two laps, Chandler Smith taking that victory. He was in by, I believe, five or six points. Yes. A uh, couple yep. of positions in that final final laps there just for him alone ended up putting him uh, where he was out. So uh, I know Austin Hill, another one, you mentioned his wreck kind of put him in that position. You knew that. Uh, but for Todd Dillon, that 10th place run, lost a couple positions on the track in that final race, extremely heartbreaking uh, for sure. Yes, indeed. Now, we're going to take a look at the driver points as well, Jay. So uh, we'll do that and uh, let everybody know how this fell out. Well, you mentioned it, Sheldon Creed staying on top. It was uh, Austin Hill and Todd Gillen, uh, the two that ended up on the outside looking in. Now, Chandler Smith actually, based off of those points, uh, would have still been points-wise two points out, but the victory locks him in and guarantees that moving on. Uh, so like I mentioned, yes. he needed that. If not, he'd have been the one with that heartbreak of two points out uh, behind uh, Todd Gillen. So, and I don't know, Jay Skies hasn't updated with the reseeding for this next round. They do, but uh, I thought we'd finish with how the points go uh, and then do the reseeding but we're going to have to hurry okay, because I, we're I, running out of time. <laughs> it does go Sheldon Creed, John Hunter, Nemechek. Obviously, they were the top two. Uh, one point between them, even there uh, in that final slide with Sheldon Creed and Nemechek finishing third. 
Then you got Matt Crafton, Stuart Friesen, Carson Hosevar, uh, Ben Rhodes, and then Zane Smith. Big shout out to both of the Smiths, both of them below the cut line, both of them advancing. Again, a little bit of luck, uh, reverse luck on somebody else, but uh, they capitalized on it. Yes, and those 50 points that, uh, uh, playoff points that uh, John Hunter Nemechek, the regular season champion, brought into uh, this, the playoffs really helps him keep that second place spot. It does indeed. Uh, where are you finding the reseeding? Because, like I said, I didn't see where they had the reseeding it's on points. The, it's on the race page. I can cover the driver point reseeding if okay. you want. Okay. Um, yep. Okay. At the top of the list with the reseeding, again, those 50 points making a huge difference uh, for John Hunter Nemechek. He has the five wins, uh, so he is in first place. Sheldon Creed with three wins and 26 playoff points in second place. Then it's Ben Rhodes in third place. He has the 19 playoff points. Um, Zane Smith is in fourth with nine playoff points. Chandler Smith moves himself up to fifth with six playoff points, Matt Crafton in sixth place, Carson Hosovar, the rookie, in seventh place, along with Chandler Smith, also a rookie, and Stuart Friesen uh, being the eighth driver uh, to go into the round of eight. Uh, he has the 15, no, he has one playoff point. Uh, Todd Gilliland did have 15 playoff points helping him, and Austin Hill had 21 playoff points, uh, trying to help him with the uh, point situation. But it just wasn't enough to keep them both in. Yeah, and, and there you go. Like I mentioned, uh, they know in their hearts of uh, two points anywhere throughout these uh, three races uh, could have made that difference specifically for Todd Gillen. Austin Hill, unfortunately, and we saw this with Byron, uh, William Byron a few years back, and that was for the championship uh, motor blown. In this case, Austin Hill being involved in an accident and just couldn't recover, and it wasn't enough to carry him all the way through. Yes, indeed. Now, the next round, they will drop four drivers. Uh, The four drivers that are below the cut line right now are Chandler Smith, Matt Crafton, Carson Hosovar, and Stuart Friesen. Three of those drivers do not have wins. Uh, Carson Hosovar, Stuart Friesen, and... uh, Matt Crafton, uh, Zane Smith being the only other driver without a win, uh, but he's in the top four. So we'll see how this plays out with these next few races. Uh, but do you have any uh, uh, quick picks for who the top four are going to be? Wow. Um, obviously, top two, you'd have to go Sheldon Creed and John Hunter Nemechek. I think the other two spots there with what we've seen – uh, momentum shifting maybe a little bit. Chandler Smith picking up confidence. Uh, I think the other two spots are pretty much wide open, in my opinion. Yeah, I have to agree with you. This this is a golden opportunity uh, for these uh, eight drivers. Uh, we know John Hunter Nemechek and Sheldon Creed are probably going to advance into that final four, but who are going to be the other two drivers? Can Ben Rhodes kind of pick up the pace a little bit uh, or is, you know, does he slump uh, and miss the Final Four at uh, Phoenix? We'll have to wait and see what happens. Uh, this is where the cream rises to the top. Uh, we've got a lot to look forward to with the NASCAR Cup Series. 
Uh, we're going to move on now to the Xfinity Series. They also had an exciting race uh, in the Xfinity Series. Uh, their next race, the Alcos Uniform 302, will be at Las Vegas Motor Speedway this weekend, Saturday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on NBC Sports Network and radio coverage on PRN, Sirius XM, NASCAR Radio. We'll talk about this again on our podcast that comes out on Wednesday. Uh, but for now, we're going to cover the Food City 300 uh, that took place last Friday uh, at Bristol Motor Speedway. A.J. Allmendinger wins a thrilling race at Bristol and takes the regular season championship with cars bouncing off each other like pinballs through two laps of overtime. A.J. Allmendinger took his number 16, Colleague Racing Chevrolet, three wide to the bottom and passed Justin Algauer and Austin Sindrick on the final lap to win the Food City 300. Uh, A.J. Allmendinger won uh, that race on an overtime restart. Uh, he chose the inside on the front row underneath the 22 of Austin Sindrick. They battled for the regular season championship as the two drivers tangled. Coming to the finish line were Almondinger, Edshaw, head of Sindrick for the win and that regular season championship. That's just how close this was. Uh, the number 98 of Riley Earps turned his best finish of the season in third. Justin Augauer led a race high 92 laps but settled for third place while Brandon Jones rounded out the top five. Justin Haley placed sixth, followed by Harrison Burton, Myatt Snyder, Sam Mayer, Daniel Hemrick, 10. Algauer won the opening stage while Hemrick earned a playoff point for winning the second stage. There were 11 leaders among seven drivers, 10 cautions for 72 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 75 Point zero two six miles per hour. Almondinger earned his ninth victory in 53 Xfinity Series starts, his fourth victory and 17th top 10 finish this year. It was his first victory and second top 10 finish at two races at Bristol Motor Speedway. Austin Sindrick posted his fourth top 10 finish in seven races at Bristol and his 19th top 10 finish in 2021. Uh, Riley Earps posted his second top 10 finish in three races at Bristol. Sam Mayer in ninth was the highest finishing rookie. Uh, and we know that A.J. Allmendinger, uh, by winning the race, did win the regular season championship. It was so close, Jay, over who, yeah. whoever won that race was going to win the championship. That's all you can say about that. A race like that is wow. Uh, can't even get victory. Uh, can't get the victory lane interview until they get back from the care center. Obviously, that was just a checkup. Uh, again, there was a dust up and a wreck as they crossed the start finish line. I believe it was a sideways finish uh, as they crossed the line. Uh, I go back to uh, the theme we've talked about in the Arkham and Ards East, and then in the Truck Series going out and taking it. A.J. Allmendinger needed that victory, like you said, especially with Austin Sindrick being the one leading it uh, for the regular season championship, those extra five bonus points, um, as well as then for the win, plus 15 versus 10 
first and second in the regular season championship, which A.J. Allmendinger ended yep. up winning. So, I mean, to put it all on the line, and it almost came out real good for Riley Herbst. Being in that, actually at that time, fourth position as Allgaier slid back, uh, kind of watching to see good top five run for him, it was that close to turning into a victory for him. <laughs> Yeah, I hope Riley Earps comes back again next year for the Xfinity Series. It's going to be fun to watch and see what he does because he's really uh, just now starting to really come on strong in this Xfinity Series. So it just tells you that's a big uh, big learning curve for him coming from the Truck Series into the Xfinity Series. Uh, but he's made the most of it, and he's had some really strong runs here. So uh, going running down the list here, we had a few people that did have some issues. Uh, Ryan Seek had a fuel pump issue, uh, an accident for Matt Mills, brake issues for Ryan Vargas, uh, Bailey Curry also with brake issues, Landon Castle had an electrical issue, and Brett Moffitt early in the race was caught up in an accident. So uh, there you have it. Uh, the margin of victory between Austin Sindrick and A.J. Allmendinger, 0.082 seconds. So very, very close race here in the Xfinity Series. A couple other stories that I would look at in the, in the, in the top ten, just finishing from Bristol, um, Sam Mayer. Uh, obviously, we've seen him as a short track driver, got the victory there in the truck series uh, last year, I believe it was. Hasn't had the best of runs since uh, coming into junior motorsports. Some of his own doing, some of not. But to be able to, at, at a track like Bristol, where he's uh, he's got good experience, get that top 10 run. He mixed it up with junior uh, last week at Darlington. I think we're starting to see him get uh, his feet under him. And then Daniel Hemrick. You mentioned the 92 laps led by Justin Allgaier. Daniel Hemrick leading 78 laps three times. Again, I don't know what that team is missing, him as a driver, <laughs> to be able to come so close and not have that victory yet is just unbelievable, in my opinion. <laughs> yes, indeed. We should also mention, though, that Ty Gibbs uh, was in this race, and he came home with an 11th place finish at Bristol. That's just amazing to me. That's one of those we talked about this one other time this year. Uh, he did start in the third position, and, and watching him throughout that race just didn't necessarily have the, the best car out there. Um, but to be able to continue get then a finish like that, not quite a top ten, um, I think really does do him some good, if you will. Uh, not not to, that I want to see anybody lose, but winning all he has that we mentioned in the Arkham Menard series to not – necessarily have that top car and be able to finish it with it then uh, if it's in the 10th place car take the 10th place so I think that is good for him I think this is the second or third time we've seen that this year where maybe not the win but he'd still finish second third or fit, you know top five to, to mix in some of those maybe not top finishes and be able to handle it well okay now we'll take a look at the uh, driver points before the reset and then after the reset as well. So let's go ahead and do before the reset. All right. Well, as I got it on, on J-Ski there, it actually, this shows it as a tie, 2044 points for each um, 
Jayski shows it as Cindric, but we know AJ Allmendinger won that regular season championship. Are you looking at so the reset what... points? I think okay, you're looking see, at the reset points. You're right. This one gave me the reset points. Where's yeah, the regular points? So you points want to go then? before the reset. There's another link there before the reset. All right. Let me back out then. Well, you actually, then, if you want to call over the... Okay, oh, I'll go ahead okay, and do that yeah. then. Okay, okay. AJ Allmendinger, uh, to as the lead, he's got the four victories uh, and thousand forty three points. Austin Cindric in second, he's got the five victories. That's what's going to put him in first place when they do the reset. Justin Algauer in third place with two victories. Daniel Hamrick and Harrison Burton round out the top. Uh, Justin Haley in sixth place. With the one victory, Noah Gregson has two victories in seventh. Then it's Jeff Burton in eighth place with uh, one victory. Brandon Jones with not without a victory. Riley Earps without a victory rounds out the top ten. And then it's Jeremy Clements without a victory in eleventh place. And Maya Snyder that rounds out the top twelve drivers advancing to the playoffs. Ty Gibbs, by the way, uh, in 14 of the 26 races in the regular season, actually is in 13th place with three victories. Just incredible what this kid is doing. Well, and with the reseed, then you talk about the 12 that are making it into the playoffs there, as that was their uh, regular season championship for the Xfinity Series. Mentioned it, and what I was looking at now was that reseeding. Austin Sindrick and A.J. Albeninger tied at 2,044 points. Austin Sindrick does get the advantage, if needed, of having five wins versus four. Now, if there's a tie throughout this first round, then it will go to the best finish within that round. So we'll have to look at that following the end of this first round for the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Third spot they does stay Justin They also are tied for playoff points. Yeah, you're correct. They, they do both. That's how the reseeding works. Both have 44 yeah. playoff points built up. So, again, you can still build up playoff points throughout these three races as well, making those stages and wins that much more important throughout the, uh, the round. And Justin Algar, he'll settle in third at 2020. So he's got 20 playoff points, starts 24 points behind those top two. Then you got Noah Gregson at 17. Uh, up, Justin Haley at 15, Daniel Hemrick at 14, even without a victory. Uh, let's see, where to, uh, Jeb Burton, he's got nine, gets the advantage over Harrison, who only has eight. Maya Schneider, you mentioned one win, gives him five, so he's seated above Brandon Jones with three, Riley Herbst with one playoff point due to a stage win, and then Jeremy Clements. And your four that we're looking at are going to be for this first round anyway, uh, Nyatt Schneider, Brandon Jones, Riley Herbst, and Jeremy Clements. Those are the four we're looking at as it stands right now. We saw in the truck series, two of them moved in. Uh, we'll talk about the cup series here in a minute. It can be done, but you're going to have to be uh, very on top of your game here in this round. Yes, indeed. Uh, so, uh, three more races to eliminate four more drivers uh, after that. But uh, in this 
first round. They're just starting their playoffs, keep in mind. So they have three races uh, before their – or two races before their elimination race. So in that elimination race, will uh, pare it down to just eight drivers. So, uh, wow. We've seen some exciting racing in, in a lot of these series uh, to close out a season, to eliminate drivers. Uh, but this is an elimination race for the Cup Series as well, Jay. Uh, so this is going to be interesting. Uh, their next race is going to be the South Point 400 at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday, September the 26th on NBC Sports Network with radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Again, no practice or qualifying, uh, so it's going to be exciting. But let's talk about the Bass Pro Shops NRA Night Race at Bristol. Uh, another exciting finish uh, comes down to the wire. Kyle Larson wins the wild NASCAR Cup Elimination Race at Bristol. He celebrated victory in the Bass Pro Shops night race with a burnout on the front stretch at Bristol. And while he was doing that, tempers were flaring between Kevin Harvick Elliott over on Pitt Road uh, with an assist from Elliott who took Harvick's line at the .533-mile concrete track and slowed his progress. Now, Larson made the winning pass on lap 397 of 400 and sealed his NASCAR Cup Series victory of the season. Um, so he won his uh, sixth win of the year, the first win at Bristol in the 12th of his career. Harvick finished second, followed by Byron, Blaney, Bowman, Keselowski, the pole sitter, Martin Truex Jr., Jones in the number 43, that's Eric Jones, Hamlin, and Matt DiBenedetto rounding out the top 10. Larson took the lead from Harvick, which is three laps remaining. Harvick got the lead from Elliott with 35 laps to go when the two made contact. Now, Elliott had a tire go down. He had to stop and pit. He finished 25th. Harvick and Elliott argued with each other on pit road at the end of the race. Now, the drivers that are advancing to the round of 12 are Keselowski, Harvick, Larson, Elliott, Hamlin, Blaney, Kyle Busch, Truex Jr., Bell, Byron, and Bowman, the drivers eliminated from the uh, playoffs. I was really shocked that Kyle Busch was eliminated in this first round. Tyler Reddick also eliminated, along with Eric Almarola and Michael McDowell. Stage one was won by Denny Hamlin. Stage two by Kyle Larson. Uh, There were 23 lead changes among seven drivers, eight cautions for 71 yellow flag laps, and one red flag for track cleanup just before the end of stage two. The average speed of the race, 87.409 miles per hour. Now, Larson won his uh, 12th victory in 252 Cup Series starts. His sixth victory and 21st top 10 finish this year. His first victory and eighth top 10 finish in 13 races at Bristol. Now, Harvick in second posted his 21st top 10 finish in 41 races at Bristol. It's his 19th top 10 finish this year. 
Uh, William Byron posting his second top ten finish in seven races at Bristol. Chase Bristol, who finished 13th, was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Tyler Reddick, Eric Alcimarola, and Kurt Busch, and Michael McDale, as we mentioned earlier, failed to advance. So, uh, any thoughts there on these race results? Well, I said that the only thing you could say about the Xfinity race was, wow, I don't even know what to say about this cup race at that point. <laughs> um, start with, I guess, Kyle Larson. Uh, you know, the season he has had, redemption year, as we've mentioned, and he's making the most of it. A great opportunity with Hendrick Motorsports, and he is maximizing it. Uh, again, still got to be considered one of the favorite for the Final Four as well as the championship. Then you get into the the mix-up with Harvick, Chase Elliott. Uh, Not having seen that kind of speed and that kind of position from Harvick here until these playoffs, and I know you've said this all along, we may see him show up in the uh, playoffs here. We saw it here at Bristol at least, and obviously uh, very fiery. If you think Kevin Kevin has lost his, uh, his edge, he showed he still has it when it comes to uh, racing and being competitive, uh, as we saw both on and off the track post-race. Big mm-hmm. shout-out to William Byron. Another one had to come from below the cut line and make sure he was in. Third-place finish. He was kind of in a position where maybe he had to win. As it turned out, not so, as a third-place finish did get him to advance into that next round. We saw a good run. William Byron, Alex Bowman is one we kind of question. It would depend on this final race here. Uh, so all four Hendrick cars advanced. Then you got Brad Keselowski. He was another one kind of on that fence that we weren't sure. He could be eliminated, could not be. We'd have to wait and see. Uh, as it turns out, he was able to advance. Expected runs from Truex, Jones, and Hamlin for your top ten, as well as Benedetto. Another one I feel bad for here. Tyler Reddick. Again, the way it all played out, he was running where he needed to be. Uh, That final shuffle and some positions lost kind of pushed him out. Um, But that was one we knew that he was going to have to really be on top of his game uh, coming into this with where he was in points. Uh, I think that there at the end, it was one of those he was giving it what he needed to do to get in. And in the last few laps there and reshuffling, he needed a little bit more and just wasn't enough time. Yeah, some of the drivers that uh, kind of playoff drivers that didn't have the finishes that they were looking for. You mentioned Tyler Reddick. Uh, Joe Logano finished in 11th, Tyler Reddick in 12th. Uh, Erica Marola had an 18th place finish, Kurt Busch in 19th. Uh, Kyle Busch had a rough day. He finished 21st, Michael McDowell in 24th, and Chase Elliott, for the reasons we talked about, he ended up finishing in 25th place. Christopher Bell actually finished in 29th place. Uh, But I guess he had enough points that it didn't ruin his day. He's still in the playoffs. Uh, Three drivers had an accident. Uh, Anthony Alfredo, Justin Haley, and B.J. McLeod. Um, DVP, I'm not sure what that stands for. Uh, But Ryan Newman finished 38th, dead last, uh, as a result of it. So not a good day for Ryan Newman either. We're going to go with that being a typo because I'm not sure what the DVP stands for. I think it's supposed to be DNF. 
yeah, did not finish. I don't know. I don't know what that's supposed to be, but uh, anyway, he did finish last. So he was out early uh, is what that pretty much indicates. Uh, let's go ahead and cover the uh, points here. We've got, uh, once again, we've got points, uh, driver points before the reset and then the driver points after the reset. Which one do you want to do, Jay? Let me see which one I have up this time. Uh, this would have been race number 30, so I must have, must have had prior the points going in. So I'll cover those first. You know, because that shows us six okay. wins. But it shows 29 starts. So I don't think all okay, these links so, are set up right. Well, it's it's very clear. It has driver point standings, and then it has driver points before reset. So you want to click on the driver points before reset. Yeah, I saw that on the second one. Go ahead and go ahead and do the the prior two, and I'll do the after. Okay, uh, these are the driver points before the reset. It shows Kyle Larson in first with the six wins, Denny Hamlin in second. Uh, you know, Kyle Larson, by the way, has a total of fifty nine playoff points in the bank. Uh, Denny Hamlin in second place. 36 points back, Martin Trex Jr. in third, 65 points back, and it's Ryan Blaney, Kevin Harvick rounding out the top five, Joy Logano in sixth, Brad Keselowski, Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, and Christopher Bell rounding out the top ten. He moved down quite a few spots there. And uh, then the next six drivers are uh, Kyle Busch, William Byron, Tyler Reddick, Eric Almarola, Bush, along with Michael McDowell. As we mentioned earlier, it's Eric Almarola, Kurt Bush, and Michael McDowell below that cut line. But uh, Jay's going to cover the reseeding of the drivers uh, going into the next round, the round of 12. Yeah, for some reason it just shows 29 starts instead of 30, but it is the reseeding. So Kyle Larson will go or stay at the top at 3,059 points. Again, those playoff points uh, building up him already a 30-point lead. Uh, Martin Truex will be second at 30-29. Mentioned 30 points back just already uh, to start this round. Then you got Denny Hamlin at 30-24. He's another five points back, as well as Ryan Blaney with the same amount, 24 playoff points built up. 22 points up is Kyle Busch. Then you got Chase Elliott at 30-21, one point behind him. Then we get down to mention Alex Bowman, three wins but no stage wins, so he starts with those 15 points from the three wins at 3,015. One point behind him, William Byron at 14, 3,013, Joey Logano, uh, Brad Keselowski at 3,008, Christopher Bell at 3,005, and Kevin Harvick at 3,002. That puts uh, Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, Christopher Bell, and Kevin Harvick right now as your four under the cut line. But that cut line is only one point between eighth and ninth. William Byron and Joey Logano, uh, nine points total from Harvick back. So reset. Uh, Kevin, unfortunately, has to start from the bottom up again. He did it in round one. We'll see if he can do it again in round two. Yes, indeed, and as as this weekend proved, 
anything can happen. Uh, Chandler Smith was just phenomenal uh, being 10th. He was in the last spot and was able to win that race to put himself into the next round. Uh, And he's a rookie. (laughs) Doesn't get any more exciting than that, Jay. No, and it was great for for him to see that. I know, unfortunately, when you have the good stories of guys that make it in, you got that bad story of the ones that, that didn't. And here again, mentioned to Eric Almarola, out by two points. And throughout that race, they had an oil line, I think it was, that, that was uh, loose or broke, mm-hmm. had to come in. They went laps down, got it repaired, come back out with where they were racing. Throughout that race, there were still spots where they were in and out because of the two points. There in the uh, closing yeah. laps, wasn't able to gain any more positions with the cars that were on the same lap as him. So there was really out of his control. Um, and I know he said it. Of you look back at one race, two races, two points, two positions on the track. And Kurt Busch, who is normally an ace at Bristol, uh, really had difficulties with his car. I happened to be listening to his in-car radio and. Uh, they started thinking maybe there were some problems with the ride heights and maybe that was why they couldn't make any adjustments that were really helping them uh, move up in the, uh, during, throughout the race. He just struggled all day long, and it was a bad timing for that to happen uh, because it put him below the cut line and he's out in the first round. I would have never guessed that. Yeah, especially not with, like you mentioned, Bristol being that cutoff race. We've seen uh, Chip Ganassi Racing having better runs here as of late, and Kurt Busch certainly did need that good run there in this race and just didn't get it. Nope, not at all. Okay, we're going to be transitioning here uh, from the first part of our show into our NASCAR Hot Topics, uh, which starts at the top of the hour. Uh, but while we do that, Jay, let's go ahead and give that Fantasy Racing for Racing's uh, crew uh, the update so everybody knows where they stand. Hello. All right. For the Truck Series, Mike has taken over the points lead in the Truck Series as they did go. They were already into their playoffs, so getting double points. He's now at 87 over me at 83. Sharon, you slid back to third at 82, uh, five points back. Andy's at 77, 74 for Sam, Owen at 67, Tommy 66, and James 52. So there's a 35 top to bottom on the trucks. That's two races here in the playoffs. The Xfinity Series. Uh, this one ended the regular season, so it was uh, eight points uh, available for the race. We'll start the double points there next week. I'm at 107. I got a six-point lead over Andy and Mike at 101 each. Sam's at 90. James at 89. Sharon, 86. Owen and Tommy at 80. So there again, 27 points top to bottom. Two races covers that. On the Oh, I didn't get an overall. Uh, on the cup side, I got a lead here, 10 points, 157. Owen is at 147. Sam at 146. Mike at 144, Sharon at 141. Then we got James at 115, Tommy at 105, and Andy at 70. And I didn't do the full math on that. I don't think Andy is eliminated yet, but uh, really close anyway for these final (laughs) 
seven races for the Cup Series, but he is sticking with Briscoe. <laughs> yeah, well, and it wasn't I a pull good it. race weekend for me either. <laughs> I uh, really had some bad luck on the track. All right, going to the overall, uh, 347 is where I'm at. Mike is up to 332, Clip, clipped into me a little bit. Sam at 310, Sharon at 309. And then you got Owen at 294, James at 256, Tommy 251, and Andy 248. So there's okay, 100 points. Well, there's... But I know, we, I, I know we got enough points there to clear that up if, uh, if need be. Okay. All right. Well, we are uh, very close to the top of the hour here. It's uh, ticking down to that. Uh, and so uh, I'll take this opportunity to thank you, Jay, uh, for continuing to keep track of our Fan for Racing Fantasy group. Uh, we really appreciate what you do there. I enjoy it, and I know uh, I have made some mistakes. Uh, I don't get by with it. Sometimes it's actually been not even in my favor, but... I know everybody else keeping an eye on it as well. Uh, for whatever reason, we haven't been able to link them back to the site. But And I'll share some stuff on Twitter later tonight with uh, where we're all at. Okay. Uh, so joining us now for a NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, I think this is Mike that we have online. Oh, it sure Mike is. is. I'm sitting here crying to crying to myself after hearing the recap of the Xfinity series where I could have had Austin Sindrick, but I dropped him last second for Josh Berry, and it cost me substantially. Oh, by the way, hey, oh, everybody. I <laughs> yeah, I had some uh, bad situations in that regard as well. Okay, also joining us for tonight is Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. What's going on, Sharon? How's it going? It's going really well, and uh, we are getting ready for NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And, uh, Andy, let's start with you for the first topic well, here tonight. Uh, I guess we probably don't have very much to talk about from this weekend, but um, let's, let's just start <laughs> off with um, it was the conclusion of round one of the playoffs of the Cup Series, and the four drivers who were eliminated, Kurt Busch, Tyler Reddick, Eric Almarola and Michael McDowell and just want everyone's thoughts on that and if there was any surprises or no surprises from those who were eliminated. Okay, Mike. Well, uh, we went through our, our picks for the first round elimination a few shows ago before the playoffs started for Darlington. And I forget what everyone else called. I remember, I think everyone was in agreement that Michael McDowell and Eric Almarola were going to be out. And then there was some variance in the other two drivers. As it turned out, Eric Almarola did surprisingly well. And if they hadn't, I guess they missed an adjustment or two on the 10 car late in the race at Bristol, and he faded. But had they not done that, if he had had a better day at Bristol, Eric Almarola would have surprised a lot of people, myself included, by advancing into the next round. His elimination in the grand scheme of things, I would say, wasn't a big surprise, but his closeness to not being eliminated, I would say, was probably, was probably a bigger surprise. Uh, I would say probably the biggest surprise out of all of them who did get eliminated was Kurt Busch. I did pick him to go out in the first round, based more or less on his weakness at Darlington uh, more than anything else. But 
he was also in a position where if he had more of an average Kurt Busch kind of day at Bristol where he runs very well, he could have just as easily advanced. Tyler Reddick getting eliminated, I didn't pick him to go out in that round. Not really a shock, kind of a, definitely a disappointment, especially with how well the eight car ran towards the end of the regular season, but not necessarily a shock to see him go out. Um, I picked Kevin Harvick to go out. That obviously didn't happen, but he does find himself sitting last now, 12 points below the cut line going into the next round. So Kevin Harvick back in a weak position, uncharacteristically weak position going into the next round. Uh, We'll see how this plays out. But uh, the four car definitely surprised me with how strong he ran in that first round. And uh, the 10 car, again, surprised me with how well he ran. Not really so much disappointments. We didn't expect Michael McDowell to do well. Yes, Cinderella turned into a pumpkin months ago for that team. But uh, it was definitely a more interesting and dramatic uh, round of 16 than I think I expected at least. Okay, Jay, your thoughts. Jay, are you on mute? Okay, yeah, I was getting my headset situated to see if you could hear me pop that open there. Uh, Had to pop open one of these uh, Voodoo Mountain Dews I got from Mike, so let me get a slug of that real quick. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Flat. Yeah, Mike mentioned it. Uh, If I got this correctly, I think we all were kind of in agreement of McDowell and Almarola. You mentioned it. Almarola, kind of a surprise as far as how close he did come and, cut, and could have gotten in. And I think that was based off of Kurt Busch. He was one of those that was on the line, not real sure of. If he would have had that usual Kurt Busch run at Bristol, it certainly would have uh, been to his benefit. Uh, Byron was another one being so far down, especially without winning the race itself, that he was able to advance. Now, I'm one that thought Keselowski was a little more on that line. He got himself a good top 10 run. Um, So that was kind of the one that I had as the the iffy. Another one that was questionable was Christopher Bell. But he had the the points built up. Uh, I was watching that, and I'm trying to remember now, when he he wrecked out and having problems of how far down he dropped or how close it was, um, if that was the one up from Eric Almirola that he could have pushed out. Tyler Reddick, uh, with the points he had built to get in the position he was in, had to continue that momentum. And I think that was one where they just kind of ran out of steam, the Bristol race not being the best for him. Uh, I know he was running top, what was it, in the results. He finished 12th, uh, was right on that edge. That one was depending on other drivers. And unfortunately, those other drivers able to pick up the points they needed, and it put him out. Okay, I have to agree with what both of you said with regard to Almarola and Michael McDowell. Uh, but Almarola, wow, what a run he did have. And just a bit of bad luck at the end of the race uh, that put him below that cut line by just two points. Uh, think about it. And he was racing hard uh, to gain those two extra positions. He came so close to making a difference uh, in his uh, point standing there but uh, it just was not meant to be. The surprise for me was Kurt Busch. I really thought Kurt Busch would have a good run at Bristol Motor Speedway, and he just did not have the car to make it happen. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. I did listen to his uh, 
in-car radio. Uh, they talked about uh, wondering if the ride heights were off on the car. Uh, and if that was the case, they said, there's nothing we can do to make this car any better. So he was just a, a lame duck uh, in the car that they gave him for this uh, elimination race. So I see that as a huge fail for the uh, the the crew, uh, the crew chief in particular. Uh, I would have expected that they would have given him a much better car uh, than what they gave him going into Bristol and the elimination race. Uh, he just did not have the car to do anything. So um, uh, that was a, a big surprise for me. I really thought he was going to make it in. Tyler Reddick, I thought, could have gone either way. Uh, so I'm not hugely surprised by that. Uh, I think he could have easily, you know, just as easily have made it into the playoffs uh, as he did with not making it into the playoffs. So no big surprise there. Uh, William Byron, kudos to him. He was below the cut line, and he raced his way up to eighth spot. Uh, that uh, he raced his way into the playoffs and is in eighth spot. So uh, he's above the cut line right now, which is a huge kudos for him. And the same with Alex Bowman. I thought Alex uh, might be in that grouping of the next four drivers to go out. But think the surprise for me are those four drivers that are in that group, Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, Christopher Bell, and Kevin Harvick. Those are the four drivers that are below the cut line uh, for this next round of 12 uh, and could possibly be eliminated if they're not able to race their way out of that position. Uh, Now, Joey Logano is, what, five points back? No, he's just one point back of William Byron, who sits in that eighth spot. Uh, and then you've got uh, Brad Keselowski, who's five points back of Joy Logano, and uh, Christopher Bell, three points behind Keselowski, and uh, Kevin Harvick, three points behind Christopher Bell. So those guys are all pretty tight. Uh, so I see this next round as being uh, a madhouse round, if you will, <laughs> for uh, these guys. So I'm equally surprised at the four drivers that are sitting below the cutoff line uh, at this stage. Uh, so we'll see what happens uh, in this next round, but I think it's going to be action-packed. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I pretty much have to agree with what you just said, Sharon. Um, Kurt Bush to me, was the big surprise. And when a team's eliminated, they can always look to various points of the season, you know, where they went wrong, but I think, for Kurt's case, you know, Richmond, I mean, they, they cut a, a left rear down uh, and, and wrecked mm-hmm. out, you know, and that was a huge blow to their chances. And I think that that, you know, obviously set the stage for Bristol, which normally would be a good track for him, but they missed it. So um, obviously a devastating first round of the playoffs. And, you know, generally speaking, the drivers that make the playoffs, you know, aren't a slouch. So it's, if you have problems like that, it's hard to overcome it. Uh, but given the, the level of talent and caliber of driver that Kurt is, I certainly expected him to go, you know, at least two to three rounds into the playoffs. So that was a, a surprise to me. Um, Reddick, you know, very talented driver, but, you know, RCR, I'm not sure, has been 
you know, strong enough performance-wise for the entire season to make a deep playoff run. So a round one exit for them is not a surprise. Eric Almarola, I mean, you looking at the season that he and all of Stuart Haas Racing have had, they were not really a playoff team. Uh, they were probably about a top 20, top 25 team, you know, on a weekly basis. They had the one bright spot at New Hampshire. Um, they went out and, and straight up won that race. They had a really good day that day. But if it were not for that New Hampshire win, they wouldn't have even been close to making the playoffs. So a round one exit for them, not a surprise. And, you know, Michael McDowell, I mean, obviously a huge win in the Daytona 500, but that's just plain an underfunded team that never really had a chance against any of the other teams in the playoffs anyway. So um, to be perfectly blunt about it, but yeah, Kurt Busch being eliminated, certainly a surprise. And um, I think for me, you know, the end of that Bristol race was so wild because so many drivers in the playoffs had issues, whether it be accidents or cut tires. And, and there were, there were you know, uh-huh. multiple drivers, you know, at risk for, for being eliminated. And that's what made that race so crazy amongst other things, Bristol being Bristol, I guess. <laughs> and uh, it was just pretty wild there at the end. And, and so some of those drivers who did wind up making the next round barely did so by only a few points. And that's, what's going to make this next round pretty critical. Okay. Mike, your follow-up. Well, I'm going to kind of steer this in a little bit different direction for the uh, follow-up round. We've already talked about our thoughts about the drivers who were eliminated in this previous round. And I'll kind of, instead of doing a whole other topic, if you don't mind, steer it in the direction of, well, with what we saw in this round, who do we expect to get eliminated in the next round? And for me, I've got two uh, drivers who are currently below the cut line. Actually, correction, that's going to be three drivers who are currently below the cut line, I believe, will be eliminated this round. And that is Brad Keselowski, Christopher Bell, and Kevin Harvick. Brad Keselowski's saving grace is Talladega. He is extremely strong at Talladega, tends to run very, very well there. He won the spring race there, as well as multiple times previously at Talladega as well. So if Brad Keselowski gets it done, it will be at Talladega. Las Vegas and the Charlotte Roval are two somewhat weaker tracks for Brad Keselowski. I think if he does well at Talladega, his chances to advance significantly improve. But with the chance of calamity at Talladega, if he does do extremely well at Las Vegas in the Roval, I think Brad Keselowski is going to be out this round. Joey Logano is currently below the cut line. However, they just about have a statue of Joey Logano in front of Las Vegas. I think that's going to bode very well for him in this round, as well as Talladega, where he also runs very well. I think Joey Logano gets himself back out above the cut line. Christopher Bell, he's had a great season but I don't think this round lines up very well for him. Toyotas, if you're, not, uh, if you're not named Denny Hamlin, Toyotas tend to not do very well at Talladega. And I understand that Christopher Bell won the Daytona road course earlier this year, but his performance on other road courses throughout the season don't give me a lot of hope of him having a strong day at the Charlotte Roval at the end of the round. And then Kevin Harvick, another driver who – I had him out in the previous round. I actually had Tyler Reddick going out in this round, but he's already out. I think this is going to be the end for Kevin Harvick. Again, Talladega has not gotten along very well with Kevin Harvick throughout his career. He tends to do below average at Talladega, and once Kevin Harvick having a below average year at a racetrack that he has also below average at, I don't think that lines up very well for him, as well as the Charlotte Roval I don't think will do very well. So if Kevin Harvick doesn't have a banner day at Las Vegas, I think his point situation currently minus 12 behind the cut line puts him in a pretty dangerous position to get eliminated going into this next round. Jay, your follow-up. 
Yeah, I think I can't argue with any of the things Mike said there. Uh, with the exception of Kevin Harvick, I think that the fuel we saw from this past weekend, maybe that extra motivation. I know that doesn't put speed into the car, but I, I think it also could end up putting then Chase Elliott in a bad position if that carries over through the rest of the playoffs. Now, they did have their talk both on pit road as well as in their uh, Chase Elliott's holler afterwards. We'll have to see uh, how that got settled or not. Christopher Bell's another one that it, to me is, is a question mark. Um, you want to compare the Daytona Roval, if you will, to Charlotte. It's not the same. So we'll have to see there of how he gets through these first two and has to become dependent on that. And that's where then you'd also have to go through Chase Elliott, which may be Chase Elliott's saving grace when it comes down to it. I think one that is above the cut line that I can see falling back is, unfortunately, Alex Bowman. Uh, and he's one that I questioned even getting out of this first round. He's got the three victories. That is a, a, one of his better showings at Bristol from what I recall so we'll have to see what what stretch they're on momentum-wise. Uh, they, they got the three victories, but they didn't exactly have a stellar strong season. And then the other question above the line there is William Byron. Kind of was in a must-win situation or close to it. He did all but win. Uh, another one to see if they pick up back up to where they were at the beginning of the season, where we did expect them to be deep into the playoffs. So I think the, the, that line again is really iffy of could be in, could be out, and then that's taking away any other uh, bad luck or bad situations on somebody else or a really good run by somebody here. Uh, we've seen drivers pick it up and, and do really good in a round that we don't expect. So. That's just going strictly based off what we've seen so far throughout the year. Yeah, I have to agree with uh, we're going to have to wait it out and see how this Chase Elliott, Kevin Harvick thing plays out. Uh, That could be a motivator uh, for both of those drivers, or it could be something that kind of turns things in the wrong direction for them. So we'll have to see how that plays out, uh, whether or not they were able to resolve it so that it doesn't play out on the track. Uh, or continue to play out on the track uh, and see how that plays out. Uh, The one that I think could be in question, and he seems like he's in a pretty good spot right now, but he's another driver that just doesn't seem to have the car that he needs to have to compete. Kyle Busch should have had a better than what he had at Bristol. Um, There's been a number of tracks that have been like that for him this year, uh, and I've got to wonder whether or not he's got the team uh, that is a championship caliber that's going to put his car in position to go into this next round, or are they just going to fall apart? Uh, Kyle Busch has a tendency to kind of be a little bit temperamental about these kind of things, and that can either motivate his team or it's going to totally demoralize them. So we'll have to see how that plays out as well. Uh, Alex Bowman, I have to agree, uh, another driver that has these glimmers of uh, really good race runs, uh, but sometimes it just kind of fades in the end. So another driver that I think could possibly fall below the line. Um, Christopher Bell had a bad run. I think he could also be a driver that could end up uh, falling below. Uh, I do have to give Alex Bowman and William Byron some credit, though. They really rose to the occasion to 
to, to uh, keep themselves away from elimination in this round of 12. So can they do it again in the round of eight? We'll see. Um, Joey Lugano, that's Brad Keselowski I see is almost a lame duck. Good run at Talladega. But because of the situation with him going over to Rush Fenway Racing next season, I don't see him being given the best equipment. If they're going to give the good equipment to anybody, it's going to be to Joey Logano because Joey Logano is going to be there next season. And that's where they're going to put the eggs in the basket. It's not going to be with Brad Keselowski. And as far as team information, he's on the outside right now. So I don't give Brad Keselowski a whole lot of hope of advancing. Uh, maybe he'll surprise me, but but we'll see. Um, is that four drivers? I said uh, Kyle Busch, Alex Bowman, Brad Keselowski, and I'd say Christopher Bell is the guy. Uh, he's he. I don't know that he's got the experience behind him uh, to to really make it into the playoffs. I think he has a chance of falling out in this round of eight as well. Uh, so I see Joy Logano and Kevin Harvick rising to the occasion. I think that Bristol's going to really inspire Kevin Harvick. Uh, I think it's really going to inspire his team. So hopefully uh, that that's going to turn his season around. And, and as I've been saying all year, I think he's going to come alive in the playoffs. Um, and I think that he showed signs of doing that at Bristol. Um, so there you have it from me. Uh, Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think, you know, looking at these playoff standings, um, you're probably going to see a couple, three that are currently below the cut line get eliminated. And if I have to pick three, I'm going to have to go with um, Keselowski for the reason you just mentioned. I think he's in a bit of a lame duck situation. They haven't been performing to the highest level in recent weeks, and I don't know that they're going to be able to rise to that occasion. He is a former champion with a lot of experience. I could very well be proven wrong in that, but I just haven't seen the the speed and performance there as compared to the teams at the top of the standings. Uh, Christopher Bell, I think, is underperforming compared to his Joe Gibbs racing teammates. So I think the uh, the line ends for him after this round. Kevin Harvick, um, specifically because he coming off a nine-win season last year, has gone winless this year. He did have speed last weekend, but that was Bristol, a track that he's typically been very good at. Stuart Haas Racing in general has not performed to the level we're used to seeing. I would find it hard to believe to see them go past this next round. And then I think you get got to look at somebody outside of that, those four drivers, and it's it's between Bowman or Byron. I can't say for sure which one, but I, I definitely think it's between those two as the next two weakest links uh, in the playoff standings. Okay. Uh, Mike, your follow-up. No, I guess that is follow-up. Okay, so, Mike, you're up for the next. Uh, I think we can all agree the racing this weekend at Bristol was absolutely phenomenal. And even before the cup race, after the Xfinity race on Saturday, and then especially after the cup race on Sunday, there was a lot of talk on social media of why did we ever cover this place in dirt? So given the racing that we saw this weekend, is it time for NASCAR to reconsider doing a spring dirt race at Bristol, given that the racing was so outstanding this past weekend on the pavement? Uh, Jay? 
Well, then you go if you're going to go with the fans, then we want a dirt track on a road course at night, but during the day, unless it's a Tuesday, then they want it. You can't do this. The, the dirt thing. No, fans okay, that's scream exactly for it. That's since, all we want. That's all we want. The, 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 fa- <laughs> the fans have wanted a dirt race in the cup level since Eldora started with the truck series. Nobody's going to give up a race date. Bristol was one of those used to be, you couldn't get tickets for 10 years out that had fallen off. They needed to do something. I think right now, I'm I'm in the middle. I understand where the fans are saying, hey, this is back to the old Bristol. We want them both back. But I think it draws then two different uh, atmospheres from the spring race to the fall race. You got the night race with the regular usual Bristol, as you will. Uh, the fact that it, just like you talk about, you like Miami Homestead because it was a once-a-year visit. Well, the concrete at Bristol under the lights is now a once-a-year visit because the other one's a dirt. So that makes it that much more special, as well as then they compared, they said, you know, maybe some of the issues some of these drivers had is because they haven't been on it for a whole year. So I think keeping the spring dirt race at least for another year or two, I don't know if it was originally a three-year plan, see the improvement they make with running on the dirt from year to year. It is the only dirt race we have at this point. So I think at least for a couple of years, they need to keep it, see how it pans out, bring Bristol back to the point where it's selling out both races and then make a judgment call. Uh, if the dirt thing doesn't work out, we don't see improvements. It's not working. Reevaluate it, but you can't call it off after one race, just as this race this weekend at Bristol, all racing, all series was really good. It was one set. If that were the case, though, we wouldn't have the, the lack of attendance we've had over the past few years. So, again, don't do it based off of one race. Yeah, Andy. <laughs> so the short answer is Bristol should stay concrete for both of its races. And I've been to – recent concrete races there and I was at the dirt race weekend in the spring and I like I like both I'll admit that they're both unique in their own way but Bristol is one of Bristol as in the concrete track is one of the best products that we see every year and it it always continues to produce great racing whether the cars are on the bottom or whether we see a top and bottom groove I think the racing is good I in my opinion have yet to see a lackluster race there um, so it's a kind of a bittersweet situation. I didn't think the dirt racing was bad. I think they're only going to make improvements to it, such as making it a night race for next year. But I hate to see it come at the expense of one of the concrete events. And, you know, like Jay said, it's, it's going to be impossible to make everybody happy. Do I think, you know, a dirt race on the schedule is, is a cool thing? Sure, I do. But you know, I, I, the question is where, where does it come from? Because if SMI or specifically the TV partners want this dirt race, it has to come from somewhere and it most likely has to come from somewhere on the schedule short of expanding the schedule, which isn't going to happen most likely. So it's got to come from somewhere and the decision was made to make it, you know, an event that, that, um, you know, came from Bristol and ultimately remained there just with dirt on the surface. Um, personally, my, my opinion would be that it, if they're going to run a dirt race, it should be at like an Eldora, a track that's purpose built as a dirt track that would 
probably put on a better show and run by a facility that knows how to do it. Um, we saw great truck races there the several years that they did it. But again, you know, the, the dilemma becomes where does that, where does that date come from? So, um, you know, I hate, I hate that um, this dirt race comes at the expense of a race on the concrete surface, but um, you know, that is an event that they probably will improve upon with time. And um, like I said, having been to both concrete and the dirt weekend in recent years, you know, they both were entertaining, I felt like. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, certainly we don't have any say in this. <laughs> so, you know, I guess we're going to have to accept it for what it is. But I, I will say that the, the short answer in all of this for me would be um, if you're going to do a dirt race, put it at Eldora or a dirt facility and keep Bristol as it is. Yeah, I'm going to fall on both sides of this because I I do think that you have to be careful of uh, always making changes or that knee-jerk reaction to what the fans are saying on Twitter or social media. We've got a lot of fans that like to complain. We've got a lot of fans that are casual fans that don't have uh, a lot of real knowledge about what's going on. Uh, and and we have fans like Mike and, and Andy that are, are avid NASCAR fans that would prefer to see that on concrete. But I'll, I'm going to have to interrupt myself. <laughs> we are at the night that I make an announcement to our new listeners listening for the first time. Uh, we go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, uh, but we will continue our conversation and record that conversation as part of our uh, bonus overtime material for our podcast. Now, if you've listened up to this point, all you have to do is when I go out on Twitter to say that the podcast is now available, all you have to do is fast forward to the two-hour mark, and you can hear the rest of the conversation that we've recorded. So, uh, again, we like to alert especially our new listeners tuning in for the first time at this point so that you know how you can hear the rest of the conversation. So with that, uh, I forget exactly where I was there, but uh, I do think that NASCAR uh, has the broader picture that they are looking at. And I think that Jay brought up a good point uh, that instead of having the two races on concrete, why not have one race on dirt and the other race on concrete? Uh, I, I think the only down part of that is the expense of bringing in all that dirt. Uh, I know that they kind of plan some other racing around those dirt races, and maybe that's what they have logistically already planned for this season, and that's why we're seeing it on the schedule. Uh, and that's where I guess I come in with trusting NASCAR to make the decisions based on what they know that we don't know. So I do think that, uh, you know, uh, it, it would work either way. I think it would work with having the, the dirt race. It would work with having the concrete race, one each. It also would work with having the two concrete races. Uh, I can't imagine doing dirt at – well, I guess they do do dirt at night. So I guess that's not an issue, but um, – uh, I just, I, I think I could argue both sides on this, to be honest with you. 
And to me, I, I just trust NASCAR to make the decisions based on the information that they have available to them. Um, and, yeah, NASCAR fans uh, sometimes do have a knee-jerk reaction without giving it a chance to really work its way through some of the issues that sometimes happen with the first time that you do something. So I hope fans can kind of give uh, NASCAR the benefit of the doubt here and give it a chance to work before they uh, discount it altogether. So, Mike, your follow-up, or your comments. Sure. You know, I, I said this before, and I'm going to say it again. The best time to cancel the Bristol Dirt Race was a year ago when the schedule was announced. And the second best time is right now. We don't have Owen right now for, for our metrics and data and analytics, so I'm going to have to fill in for him. And my source for this data is going to be Jeff Gluck's informal, was it a good race poll? And if you're not familiar, every day, the day after every single cup race, Jeff Gluck goes out on Twitter and puts out a simple yes or no poll, was the previous race a good race? Well, this past weekend's race at Bristol was the number one highest-rated cup race ever in the history of the poll, dating back to 2016 when he first started it. Uh, It scored a 95.7%. The second place, Bristol from 2020 with a 94.9. Third place, Bristol from 2018 with a 94.8. Those are all on the concrete version of Bristol. Where did the Bristol dirt race end up? Right around the middle of the entire list, hundreds of races at 78.5. It's right around the middle. So better than half, worse than half. But when the preponderance of the top ten is dominated by one track, namely Bristol Concrete, it shows that we've got something special and we shouldn't let it get away. And Bristol on Concrete is a special race. And if we do two out of the year, it's two special races a year because the spring races, it seems to be rated comparably as high as the fall race, regardless of whether or not it's going to be on TV. And like I said, the kind of people who follow Jeff Gluck on Twitter aren't going to be your casual, your so-called casual fans, the people who are flipping through the TV and just happen to land on the NASCAR race. They're people who are somewhat dedicated to the sport, at least enough to follow a media personality like Jeff Gluck and offer input into that. So I would, I would value their input not necessarily from a scientific standpoint, but at least it's something more than just a trivial nothing. Now, as far as going to a dirt race, I don't think there's inherently a problem with that. I just don't want to give up a Bristol race in order to do it. Like Andy said, there are hundreds of dirt tracks around the country. Most of them probably couldn't handle a NASCAR Cup Series race from a logistical standpoint, but some of them could. You know, a place like Eldora, for example, could probably handle a NASCAR Cup Series race. So, Looking at something like that, if we want to include a a dirt race on the schedule, I think is a better idea than giving up one of the greatest venues that we've got in the sport right now, namely Bristol on concrete, just for the virtue of having a different race and a a race on dirt. Um, Whether that's going to happen or not, they've already announced that they're doing a Bristol race on dirt uh, next spring. So I don't think it's actually going to happen. But I would say that going forward for the 2023 schedule and beyond, they really should look at going back to concrete twice for Bristol and putting the dirt race, if they're going to continue as a dirt race, at a dedicated dirt venue, Eldora or otherwise. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Well, when they announced this dirt race at Bristol, I was one that was kind of leery of it, having been to the Dome where you're building a dirt race on another track or from scratch inside a venue. And there are some factors to be said for that. Uh, when you look at it, though, they've already, in my opinion, made a tremendous improvement 
by moving it from a daytime to a nighttime race. They wanted to keep their NASCAR-style daytime race uh, for Bristol, and that dries up the dirt, and you have some of the issues we had once it got uh, finished raining. The rain obviously affected it. So if we have good weather come this next year, that's going to change how that race comes out. Uh, but having it at night, I think, is a huge factor. Um, hopefully, if it rains during that night and they have to push it to the next day on a day race, again, I think they've learned on how to water it and prepare it. When you talk about moving it to a true dirt venue, Eldora is truthfully one of the few that can, for the cup level, be prepared and ready to. However, I think there is another one that could be considered, and when we mentioned this earlier, of possibly doing multi -ra multiple races in a weekend and giving another weekend off, the Charlotte Dirt Track. The problem you run into there is I believe the Charlotte Dirt Track is a three-eighths mile versus the half mile of Eldora. There are very few half-mile tracks that would be able to handle that. And I think to, for the cup level to do what they want to do, we'd need to find one of those half-mile tracks. But that's not to say they aren't out there and couldn't be worked out. And I'm with you, Mike. Okay, they've already announced it for next year. We'll see what the improvement is going to the night race, um, doing it from that direction, and what they've learned as far as track prep for the cup cars. And Sharon mentioned it. It wasn't just about the one cup race. They had the speed weeks there for all classes, as well as then the World Outlaw late models there. So for that track, it wasn't just about the cup race itself. It was three to four weeks over two months of racing there. So I think that's where that comes into play. And I did go up for part of that. They did do a great job with that. Uh, but that wasn't the heavier NASCAR stock cars, the cup-level cars. So I think that's where, for at least, I say, three years. Give it that chance. Let them build on it. See what it becomes. Still want a dirt track on the schedule then look at Eldora or Charlotte, possibly Knoxville. We see the trucks running there now. I mean, these are some venues they could bring it to uh, with a little bit of work, and I don't know cost-wise as effective uh, as far as that or putting the dirt on Bristol. But uh, I, do, I just think it does need some time, uh, and I'll be one of the first to say, again, it didn't come out as good as it could have been, so we got to wait and see how it plays out as they make the improvements on it. Okay, Andy, your follow-up? Yeah, I just, you know, kind of to Jay's point that he just made, you know, certainly we'll be interested to see what they can do improvement-wise next year. I think running the race at night is, is a big step in the right direction already. Um, you know, I'm just going to be interested to see if this is something that stays for a long time or not. I really can't say either way. Um, but my hope would be that Bristol goes back to its original format as in the concrete track twice a year down the road. But I mean, both weekends are entertaining for different reasons and whether it's dirt or concrete, I'm still going to watch and I'm probably still going to be entertained by it. But um, yeah, maybe, you know, if they continue to want to have a dirt venue as part of the cup schedule, you know, hopefully you know, maybe that venue will change down the road um, just from the standpoint of Bristol does, you know, quite well on its own. That being said, uh, attendance has lacked at the spring race for quite some time, and I think that's probably part of the reason why they made the move that they did to try to generate new interest in that. 
Um, I think Sharon or Jay mentioned that Bristol used to be like the hardest ticket to get in racing, and it's not the case anymore for either weekend. Attendance has declined, and, um, you know, I guess the best way to show support for Bristol is to buy tickets and go, right? So um, I guess we really can't complain too much about it if we don't actually go to the facility or put money into it. But at the same time, you know, I don't know. I just hope that I just hope that it goes back to its original format. But like I said, attendance has been lacking there, and I think NASCAR, the track, and the TV partners have tried to do something to, to generate more interest into it. And you know, I think that it'll still be an event worth uh, looking forward to for next season. And um, at least we didn't completely lose Bristol on the concrete. We just had a a really really good weekend there, and it it um, in many ways almost makes that night race weekend more coveted now um, as a fan uh, because that is the only traditional Bristol weekend now. And, you know, if there's ever a time to go and support it, uh, it would be next year. Yeah. Um, First of all, I want to say, as I mentioned before, I could argue either side of this. Okay. I, I tend to lean toward trusting NASCAR in making the decisions that they're making for the reasons that they're making them. Um, So I'm willing to give it a chance to see if they can make some improvements uh, and, and, you know, to get, like you said, I don't know that Jeff Gluck's ratings are the most scientific way to go about this, but uh, to, to improve fans' perceptions or whatever. But here, here's the thing, uh, and I, I think you guys are making some really good points on both sides of this. I, I really think that what NASCAR is doing, to Jay's point, is they are trying to make this an event for race fans, uh, and they're trying to make it happen on dirt. Bruton Smith, when they first talked about uh, reconfiguring Bristol Motor Speedway, uh, I brought up a lot of the factors for why they were losing attendance is because of the cost of the hotels. And and that was back in 2008 when the economy was, like, taking a nosedive. And they were still asking for premium prices for hotels that were 20 miles away from the track. It's expensive to go to Bristol for a lot of race fans, and especially for families. Families used to hand down their tickets from one generation to the next, um, and and they just can't do that anymore. Uh, So there's a little bit of greed that was going on there as well that affected the attendance at Bristol Motor Speedway. So... uh, I really think that that's still a factor in in a lot of ways. So, especially during these pandemic uh, years. So, they have to do what they have to do to try to generate interest, to create this as an event where people can maybe plan their vacations around it or whatever. Uh, And again, I think we do have to give them a chance to, to do their tweaking to make it better for uh, uh, the stock cars. Now, do stock cars belong on dirt at Bristol Motor Speedway? I had concerns about it from the beginning because of the the 
slope of the track, uh, and I didn't think it would work. It turned out that that wasn't an issue as much as I thought it would be. Um, so, And I think the drivers over time are going to get better at racing on the dirt after so if they can if they decide that that's something that they can make it a, a, a an event for several weeks uh to create interest for people to go to the track um time you do something <laughs> it's not going to get a high rating a lot of times it's not uh sometimes maybe but that's the exception and not the rules uh it takes time to build something so i think that uh, you've got to allow them some time to kind of make their tweaks uh, and see what they can do to make it better. Give the drivers a chance to be better, uh, given the situation that they're dealing with at Bristol. Uh, and, yeah, I can see reasons for it not to be there. I get it. Uh, it's not that I'm not opposed to having two concrete races there. Uh, I, I would be okay with it if we had two concrete races there. But I can also see what NASCAR is trying to accomplish with what they're doing. And I say let's give them a chance uh, to, to make their tweaks and see if they can't make it better. So, Mike, you get the final word here. Well, I would think Andy would get the final word since he's the one who brought it up. Uh, oh, well, maybe not. I, you I brought, it you brought it up. Either way. I did bring it up. Okay, so I'm the one to blame for this one. Uh, anyway, um, you're right. There, there, there needs to be maybe a little bit more of a, a trial period for the Bristol Dirt Race if they want to if they want to keep it going. Yeah, give it a, a year or two to mature. Uh, but at the same time, talking about driving fan interest and getting people to show up to the race or at the very least watch it on TV, the way you do that is not with gimmicks, it's not with tricks, it's not with off-track storylines, it's with quality racing on the track. And the way you get quality racing on the track is your run a race like we had this past weekend. And there's no better cure for people not being interested in NASCAR, whether it be at Bristol or anywhere else, than to put on races and shows like we had this past weekend where all three national series just put on outstanding classics of races. Uh, and I think that is really what the focus needs to be, is how do you improve the on-track product so it's appealing to fans and, and, and get, get away from the what sort of new, different thing can we do to change the format or change the, the nature of the race versus just trying to improve the quality of the on-track product. Races like this past weekend, they don't take a whole lot of salesmanship. My wife is not a huge NASCAR fan. In fact, she's not a big, she's not a fan of NASCAR at all. Well, I had, of course, I had the race on this past weekend, and she was sitting on the couch, and she was doing her usual scrolling through the phone and watching YouTube. And you know, I look over, and suddenly her phone's sitting there on the couch, and she's watching the race. And so we had a, a person who was not remotely a NASCAR fan suddenly interested in the race because it was that good. And that's what NASCAR needs to focus on is how do we catch that lightning in a bottle and produce more outstanding races to capture fans and non-fans' attention. And that, that's the way to do it as opposed to trying to reinvent the wheel and come up with new ways to do things when there's already ways that work. Allow me to just point out one thing in regard to that, though, Mike. Uh, and that is that this was an elimination race for NASCAR, and that added to the drama that built up at NASCAR's and with the uh, issue between Chase Elliott and Kevin Harvick. Uh, those are all things that a lot of fans like to tune in for. So I, I do think that that adds to the drama of this Bristol night race uh, in the playoff elimination-style event 
So you'd have to do that for the Bristol Dirt Race if you wanted that kind of drama. If it was an elimination race, it would have a lot more impact uh, than being a, a non-elimination race and just one of the races leading up to uh, the 26 races of the season. So we'll let that be the final word. Uh, Jake, do you have a topic that you want to bring up? I most certainly do. And actually, uh, I think Mike had put it up on the board already following Saturday's Xfinity. I'm sorry, for, uh, the truck race on Friday. It kind of came up again in the cup race, going back to the Michael Waltrip racing uh determining the outcome of a race. We saw a KBM in the truck series came into play as well as then Hendrick Motorsports, if you will, from the cup race, depending on your viewpoint on it. But were either of these situations what we would consider a situation like we did at MWR? Okay. So I zoned out there for a minute. Can you just repeat that for a minute? All right, we go back to the Michael Waltrip racing that, that was penalized right. for uh, influencing influence the outcome of a race. On Friday night's truck race, you had Kyle, uh, KBM, Kyle Busch Motorsports drivers. John Hunter Nemechek chose a different line. Uh-huh. Chandler Smith had the opportunity to go for the race. Uh, that's where Mike brought it up following that. And I heard it from a lot of, a lot of fans uh, throughout on Twitter, social media there. It came up again on after Saturday's cup race with – Chase Elliott and Kevin Harvick having their issue, and Kyle Larson, another Hendrick Motorsports team, being the race winner. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? This is kind of a – this is an interesting one because I know that um, Mike and I were kind of talking about this as it unfolded for the truck race. Um, Unfortunately, I don't know that you'll see any penalties or anything – come out of this um even though you know there was radio communications that basically told john hunter what the 18 needed to do and that was win the race in order to make the playoffs and um i don't know this is more opinionated than what i what i'm saying here um a lot of this may or may not be facts so i guess that's why we get to voice our opinions on the show but you know john hunter took the lead and could have easily driven away from the 18 and then got loose in the, in the four or the uh, 18 went by. Now you could, you can argue it that he just simply got loose. He was trying to win the race and the 18 got by him, but John Hunter Nemechek is probably the most talented driver in the truck series. And I think if he'd have wanted to win the race bad enough, he could have. So um, to me, to me, I think he, probably allowed maybe to necessarily let the 18 win, but I, I think that more of an effort on his part could have been made to win the race if he had wanted to win the race bad enough. And I think that a move was made to help a teammate in a corporate decision get into the playoffs. You guys can dispute it if you want to, and that's certainly your opinion, but in my in my mind – there was some teammate work there. Was it cheating or, or blatant race manipulation? No, I don't think so. But I definitely think the four cut his teammate at least a bit of slack and a break to go out there and win the race. And I think that it's just the way it is. 
with regards to Elliot, I don't think so. I think that he w- he and Harvick were mad at each other from contact in the race that ultimately cut the tire of the nine car down. And I think he was going to race Harvick as hard as he could to prevent him from winning. Is that technically race manipulation? Sure. But I think that it was his own way of retaliating against the four car because he was upset with the four car. I don't think that it was any kind of big scandal or anything like that. I think it was just the nine car being upset with the four car and he was going to race him hard. So that's pretty much what I think about that. Okay. Mike. Yeah, I'm kind of with Andy on this one. We, we, we talked about, I pretty much called it, or one of us called it, probably both of us, uh, while they were sitting there under the red flag was, I, I think we, we decided that the four was going to dump the two, and then the four was going to, quote, unquote, get loose, and the 18 was going to get by. And then you listen to the radio chatter while they're under the red flag, and the team is feeding them that same information, not necessarily telling them to let the 18 by, but basically saying that the 18 is out, the 18 has to win the race, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and the opportunity presented itself with the two getting roughed up off the bottom. And if you watch the replay, John Hunter was wearing white gloves, and they kind of tell the story of a driver who was in complete control of the truck, and it looked like he jerked the wheel to get it up off the bottom. He was turning towards the right before the truck broke loose, and it, it really looked like he intentionally got it loose on the bottom uh, to slide up and get out of the way for the 18 to win the race. And the other bit that I saw is if you watch John Hunter's post-race interview without the sound turned on, you can see exactly when he's asked about the, the pass because he gets this really sly look on his face. And I think Bubble Wallace taught everybody a couple of years ago, never admit to what you did, but that look on John Hunter's face told me a lot that he knew exactly what he did. And in the context of Michael Walter Brayson, the, the thing that we keep coming back to on that is the term premeditation. Was this planned out beforehand? I don't know that it was planned before the race, but the conversation over the radio during the red flag sure indicates that the team was all on board with an opportunity that could present itself if the right set of circumstances transpired, and it took John Hunter's doing in order to make those circumstances work. I don't know that it's enough of a case to penalize KBM. I haven't heard that anything is in the works for that. It may come out tomorrow or Wednesday that they are going to penalize KBM, but at this point, I doubt it. With regard to the cup race, I also agree with Andy. I don't think that that was any kind of a matter of premeditation or an attempt to influence the race. Chase Elliott felt like he was wronged by Kevin Harvick, uh, and he referenced it wasn't just that time. He referenced Darlington and a couple other times where he feels that Kevin Harvick uses the right side of his car and the exhaust pipes that are on the right side of the car as a weapon with the intention of trying to cut down tires on, t- on cars that are on the outside of him. And he feels like that's exactly what happened to him. While he was on the outside of Harvick, Harvick drifted up and intentionally cut down the tire on the nine car. Whether that was the case or not from Harvick's standpoint, I don't know. I'm not Kevin Harvick. I can't speak to that. But it certainly seems to be the way Chase Elliott felt. He came in, put tires on the nine car, and it was very clear that Chase felt that Kevin Harvick ruined his race, so he's going to go out there and ruin Harvick's race. He gets out on the track with fresh tires. He goes and swipes the, uh, the four car with the right side of the nine car. I don't know if he intentionally was trying to cut down the force tires, but he definitely made intentional contact there. And then he spent the rest of the race trying to hold the four car up with the intention of ruining his race. I don't think that that was any kind of premeditated thing to help Kyle Larson win. I'm sure he's not upset that Kyle Larson ended up being the eventual winner, but I think he would have done the same thing if it had been Kyle Busch or 
William Byron or even Brad Keselowski back there, I think Chase would have raced the four car the exact same way because his intention was to make sure the four car did not win the race after he felt like uh, Elliot felt like he had the race taken away from him. So two very different set of circumstances, I think, here, and not really apples and oranges comparable to each other. Okay, Jake could probably predict that I'm going to say this. I don't know, but uh, I have a long time saying that I bring up often on the show here. First time's an accident, second time coincidence. By the third time, it, it has become a habit. And it, it seems to me like Kyle Busch Motorsports has been practicing for this uh, type of scenario all season long. Uh, we've had this discussion about Kyle Busch Motorsports uh, a couple of times already. <laughs> and here we are in the playoffs, and sure enough, there's another chance for them to um, do that. So I, I do have to question it. Uh, I don't really know for sure that he did that. You mentioned the look on his face. I didn't happen to see that. Uh, that kind of gives it away. But I think there's a there's a track record that they are building, and that track record does not bode well for Kyle Busch Motorsports. And I think at the very least, NASCAR needs to sit down with them and have a conversation. How that conversation goes, I don't know, to be honest with you. I think what's happening is that based on what happened at Richmond a few years ago, teams have become a little more slick at – uh, their communications on and off the track uh, when things like this come about. So uh, I, I do give kudos to, to Chandler Smith. He did what he had to do to win. Did he get help? I think there is a possibility that that did happen. Uh, I don't like it. I never like it when races are manipulated like that. I didn't like it when it happened at Richmond. I don't like it when it happens like this. But uh, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> it's a very slippery slope, and these guys have have really worked on uh, how they handle those situations. If you remember the first time that Kyle Busch spun his truck down on the apron to bring out a caution, and everybody questioned that, Kyle Busch had no comment. Uh, so if you don't say anything, uh, to Mike's point, there's not a lot you can you can do there. Uh, but I think it's worth a really hard look by NASCAR at the trend that is developing, particularly at Kyle Busch Motorsports in the truck series, because I do think that there's a trend developing there. I agree with you guys for all the reasons that you've already brought up on the Cup Series, so I'm not going to reiterate that. Uh, but I do think that they have developed a trend at Busch Motorsports that needs to be addressed. Uh, Jay. Well, I, I will start with the, the cup one, uh, and I think Mike said it. Kyle Busch was going to – or, uh, sorry, Chase Elliott was going to block Kevin Harvick no matter what. It didn't matter who won the race behind him. It wasn't going to be Kevin Harvick. So I think you take that one off the board. We all kind of agreed on that. That was a, a seeing red. I'm taking that. Not wrecking him, although he took a shot at it, but I'm going to block him. He's not winning this race. Doesn't matter who does. Happened to be a teammate in Kyle Larson. On the truck race, the thing that I looked at it when it got compared to the Michael Waltrip deal, when that race was as it was running out, Sheldon Creed leading Nemechek was second. They did not bring out the caution that set up the opportunity for Chandler Smith to be up there and have a shot at it. 
okay? And that's where I think the difference is with what happened at Michael Eltrip Racing. Once the caution come out, yes, Nemechek was told of the situation. He gave lane choice to Chandler Smith to give him that opportunity. Once they got by, and it was a, with a Chandler Smith and John Hunter Nemechek, Nemechek got into the tail end of them. They both about lost it. He backed off, made another run at it underneath them, got loose, and made sure he did not take out his teammate as well as his own truck. And the thing I have an issue with is where are you going to draw the line? We see it at Daytona and Talladega. Mm-hmm. You choose to get in a particular line to push a teammate or a Ford, another manufacturer, where do you draw the line of helping a teammate? Yes, there was helping a teammate there. I get that. But I do feel not, John Hunter took a couple shots at it, said, hey, if I get under him, I'm going to get loose. I hit him once, almost wrecked him and me. So I think kind of gathered up his truck and made another run at it, got loose again, ended up third. So I don't think it was that he gave it to him. Could he have pushed harder and possibly done the run him up the wall and him get, get the win and wreck a teammate? Yeah. But guess what? That's going to cost him his job, possibly. You know, so uh, there's a tough line, but I don't think any of it compares to the MWR situation where they brought out a caution in order to create that situation. They capitalized on the situation that was created. Teammates, we see it on restarts. Teammates line up side by side. One says, hey, I'll check up a little bit. You get in front of me and get down on the bottom line, and we'll both go. Okay, Andy, your follow-up? Yeah, not not a lot of follow up. I, I I will say that I don't think anything's going to come from any of this, but um, I think that helping teammates and overall corporate decisions is something that we're forever going to see in the sport. And like you said, Sharon, I, I think that teams are getting better at hiding it, <laughs> so we won't okay. always know what they're up to. But um, does it detract from the storylines this weekend? I don't think it does, and I, I don't think you'll see anything come out of it. But, um, you know, certainly interesting when these events do unfold. Okay, Mike, your follow-up. Well, Jay brings up a really good point, is where is the line? And in response to the Richmond incident and a couple other things, NASCAR came up with what's commonly described as the 100% rule. And to paraphrase it, NASCAR expects that every individual team and driver does 100% effort, whatever's in their control, in order to try to win the race or at least finish the best possible way that they possibly can. But in the era of team racing, where teammates are such an important part of racing, it's not necessarily codified in the rule book, but it almost it seems to extend to if your team can't win the race, if you individually, your car can't win the race, is it not beholden on the team in general to do the best that they possibly can as well? And that also comes into look at earlier this year where uh, Joey Logano held up Kyle Larson in order to let Ryan Blaney get by in Atlanta and win. And again, later in the season when Ross Chastain, uh, he won the race and credited uh, uh, his teammate Ross Chastain for holding up Kyle Busch in order for uh, for Kurt Busch to get by. So that was two instances where, yes, teammates were involved in potentially changing the outcome of the race, but the actions of those teammates were in line with helping their broader team organization as a whole win the race. So it's a really difficult line to draw, and it's it's kind of a Pandora's box because if you start drawing those lines, where do you draw them? How do you enforce them? And if you're going to enforce them, in what way do you do it without causing more problems than what you're solving? 
Yeah, Jay and Mark, those those are really, really good points. It's hard to know where to draw that line. And uh, do see that trend, and and you bring up the point that it's happened not just with Kyle Busch Motorsports, but some other situations as well. Uh, But, again, it goes back to what these guys have learned over time. Uh, We want teammates to help each other to a certain degree. Uh, But... um, Yeah, it's a tough line to draw, and that's what I meant when I was saying that it's a slippery slope for NASCAR to be able to address it. I don't know how that conversation would go with Kyle Busch Motorsports. And, you know, they they can be laughing all the way to the bank, um, but they are going to, you know, they've got two drivers that are in that uh, playoffs and uh, Chandler Smith as a rookie is in the playoffs. And we know, we know how Galpers feels about having their teams not make the playoffs. He is very, very intense about having his teams make the playoffs. And if they don't make the playoffs, uh, there's a good chance that they're not going to have a job next season. So Chandler Smith was doing everything he needed to do to to uh, make his boss happy, that's for sure. Um and and I, you guys are right. I don't know how NASCAR would address it. I really do, I can't imagine how that conversation would go. Uh, so you're right. They, probably nothing's going to come of it anyway. But uh, Jay, you get the final word here. Well, the one that bothered me when I think back to it was a few years ago, and I cannot remember the. I want to say it was Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, but Denny Hamlin giving up a particular uh, pit stop choice at Miami Homestead in order for his teammate in the, in the final four to have a better pit stall. And that one was acceptable. So that one actually did kind of bother me. Um, Sharon's got a point. KBM maybe has more situations where they've been in questionable decisions such as that, uh, that maybe they get looked at a little harder than any of the other teams um, that we've mentioned of having questionable decisions. But I think it comes down to that of where do you draw the line, what was outright admitted, and lastly, I think, Mike, you ought to work on uh, playing poker. If you're not a poker player, if you can read people's faces like you read John Hunter's, uh, I think you ought to be a poker player. <laughs> okay. We are past the top of the hour, which means uh, we are in jeopardy of being cut off here at Fan Racing Radio. Uh, but uh, let's try <laughs> to go ahead and do our roundtable here. And uh, Andy, we'll start with you. Yeah, CB14 fan on Twitter, and um, certainly glad to be on tonight. And I would say Thursday to be determined. Hopefully, we'll be on for that one. Wednesday? No, that's a that's a podcast, it's isn't it? Wednesday, um, Wednesday morning. Okay, so with that being said, I will have to check my schedule. Hopefully, I can do it. If not, then I'll be back next week. Hopefully. Okay. <laughs> Mike? It's going to be Mike underscore Orzell on Twitter. Mike double underscore O on Reddit. TBD uh, for Wednesday for me as well. I am working, but it might work out. Depends on when we actually get to the hotel and if I can get any kind of sleep beforehand. We shall see. Uh, I've got an article that's been on the back burner for a little while, but based on the discussion we had, it may need to come back up to the front burner and get some updates to it. So keep an eye out. Maybe I'll have something out here to publish here sooner rather than later. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Jay? Uh, you follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. Want to give a shout out there to uh, follow Blake Lathian as well 
on social media. I know I just picked up two of them and chatted with him a little bit already. A great interview we had with him earlier tonight. And come Wednesday, I will be on the show and hopefully on time as it is 10 Eastern, 9 Central <laughs> Wednesday morning when we do the podcast. <laughs> yes, indeed. I am Vamp Racing site on Twitter and Vamp Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including VampRacing.com, where we uh, post all the recaps and articles that come in. Uh, I know I've had a super busy summer. Things are starting to wind down a little bit and become a little bit more manageable. So hopefully I can get to uh, those articles and get those posted on the website as they come in. Um, And uh, we will have our podcast up for this Wednesday. Uh, Jay mentioned it. We're going to do it in the morning uh, and have it published for everybody by the afternoon. Uh, so watch for that on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, and uh, uh, also, um, somebody else said something. Oh, the uh, interview with Blake. Yeah, I thought we had a really great interview with Blake Lothian tonight. If you haven't le- listened to that, uh, make sure you tune in for it because uh, this is an up-and-coming racer, 19 years old, uh, raced uh, four events in the Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series, uh, finished ninth, I think, in in uh, some of those top five. And this uh, last week or so, on uh, September the 11th, his fourth fourth event, he ended up winning the race. So, uh, very quick uh, learning curve there. He's an eye racer that helps him. But listen to the interview because uh, he gives some really good information there about his uh, quick learning curves. Uh, and he's a first-generation driver, too. So that, I think, makes a huge difference in, this, in the, the backstory of the storyline here as well. Okay, so um, uh, again, a big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate you for tuning in, whether it's on the podcast or the live broadcast. We appreciate each and every one of you. And then to our fan and crew here tonight, both all Mike, uh, Andy, and Jay, uh, really appreciate what you do to help support uh, our fans racing radio as well as the site. And, uh, uh, again, looking forward to the podcast on Wednesday and the weekend of racing out at Las Vegas. So uh, with that, I think we're ready to call it a night, guys. Have a good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.